0: You're listening to the LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos.
1: It's like food for your ears.
2: At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence.
0: Launch sequence activated.
2: Launch sequence activated.
0: Five, four, three, two... 1 Woo! Welcome to the launch cast. What's happening everybody? I love this song. This is my theme song. Episode 101 Ethan Cohen is the guy's name. Ethan Cohen, episode 101, called "I Am Not Your Ordinary Guy." My name is George Andriopoulos. I am the Launch Dad himself, bringing you this incredible podcast. We're talking leadership, we're talking life, we're talking business, we're talking growth, and we're talking about it all with my guest today, Mr. Mike Del Judas. What's happening, Mike? How you doing, brother? Thank you, my friend. Thank you. you for being here. I am so excited. So, I want to talk for a minute just about the show. Uh, since it's our, our first episode here, I'm so excited to do this, guys. Uh, this is something that I've been working towards for a while. Uh, those who know me know about my work that I've been doing. I do a lot of leadership work, a lot of community work, and uh, kind of came from a place uh, where I wasn't really uh, a fan of the person I was years ago. And, uh, and all these years later, all this work I've done on myself brought me to this place where uh, I think I'm in a position to, to sort of bring leaders out, right? Talk to people that are that are in need of guidance and and in need of leadership and sort of give them the tools to kind of get out there. That's what I do with my business. Uh, That's what I do with my leadership masterclass that I do. And so this podcast is going to be about speaking to people that I consider leaders, somebody like you. um, You don't get out much. I don't get out much. Speaking to people who I consider leaders and really talking about uh, those spark moments that that you realize that leadership was here. right? Uh, How you balance that leadership in your life. And, uh, and the story behind it, right? Yeah. So thank you for being here again, man. Wow, I'm, my I'm so, I, I I'm appreciate so you asking me. Yeah, man. Oh, dude, I'm going to do a brief little intro on my guest here. So Mike Del Judas, a brilliant vocalist and composer and a master of several instruments. He is the author of two albums, My Street and My Favorite, which is Miller Place. Several of his new songs are under favorite consideration for film soundtracks and TV soundtracks, including the one that did make it, Mike's song, Ordinary Guy, which is was the theme song for Kevin James' sitcom, Kevin Can Wait. After 18 years of playing Billy Joel's music in his band Big Shot, Mike Del Judas now lives his dream come true as a background vocalist and guitarist for the one and only Billy Joel, one of my favorites. Mike tours with Billy all over the country and abroad in major arenas and stadiums, including every month at the iconic Madison Square Garden where you were last night, right? Last night. How was that, dude? It was fun last night. Last yeah. night was
2: off the rails a little bit, but yeah. it was it was fun. Yeah, it really was great show.
0: So, all right, I want to jump in. All right. First question, man. Uh, since this is about leadership, are you a leader?
2: I don't think I don't think I'm a good leader. I'm soft. I'm a little mush. You know, uh, I tend to I tend to to give the benefit of the doubt a lot. I think to be a good leader, from what I've seen from outside, leaders, to, at least to have a a hugely successful business, I think you have to be a little bit able to confront into whatever, and I'm a Pisces, I'm more of a guy that's like, I won't say anything to you until I have to strangle you, <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> so that's more where I, that's more where I come from, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't view myself as that, um, but I, I wish I had better skills that, you know, for that at times, I look back and in retrospect and go, I probably should have said that there and it would have avoided this or avoided that, you seem like a guy that's like, you know, not only are you the beginning phase, but you you implement also. You know, yeah, and man. there uh, and, and there are people that aren't implement. I have great ideas, and they usually are gone by two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and you're the per- kind of person that seems like you implement the stuff that you think about. Which I is-
0: I appreciate that, but I'll tell you, I'm as much of a fucking disaster as anybody <laughs> good. out there. I Do thought it. I was the only fucking mess. I, I make it look it. good on this camera, but as soon as I leave this camera, yeah. I'm a, I'm a disaster. Oh, no, good. Uh, oh. You're talking about all these traits that you talked about are what make you human. They don't make you not a leader. They make you human, which to me makes you a better leader, right? So what's if you think those are the flaws that don't make you a leader, what's your definition of a leader? Uh, I I think it would be somebody that –
2: good question. You've trapped me now because I think – That's what what, I do. Yeah, I think think honestly if if you're going toward leadership in a different – if you're looking at it from a different angle, you know, you th- we think leadership and right away we think of, you know, structure and, and this and that. I'm more the kind of person that I'm just going to sit back and, and not say as much. And And I would want, I would I think a great leader is somebody that can um, have a great sense of what other people want first and what what they need first. Because I think it, if you have people like I have my band under me and guys that I, that I employ all, all the time, and I think what I've learned over the years is that it's about learning from, you know, it's almost an example, learning from an example kind of thing. And you want to make sure that um, my thing is always being, I want a leader that's nice. I don't want somebody talking down to me. Right. I don't want somebody looking at me and, going, and pointing a finger and getting any kind, you know, a good leader knows how to, like a good, a good shepherd knows how to just move the sheep so delicately. Yep. You know, and so whatever, and does that by example and does that by love and also does that by sometimes having to be a little firm. But never the firmness never gets to a point where you're actually looking at the person and going now you're a dick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Being for sure. Able, it's being able to really take in everybody around you and go don't give, like kind of like Sonny said in the Bronx. I don't get too I don't get <laughs> too much. I don't get too. You want I think that makes that's a, what makes a great leader. You know? Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. They give you a good amount so you stay, but you don't. Get too much so you whatever i think that made sense that yeah. was a good line and, in that movie and yeah. thank
0: you for opening the car door for me earlier too thank you oh, you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome I yeah down. no <laughs> so so let me tell you that those traits are are so key in leadership um you know that community right bringing the people in around you and making them part of the team and lifting them up yes that to me is what is what makes a leader there's an interesting um is an interesting lyric in one of your songs ordinary guy which we mentioned so the lyric is I'm just like those ordinary people live from check to check just to get by. I don't need no blink to breathe. Got two cents. That's fine for me. I am not your ordinary guy. So you're saying here in this lyric that you are one of the ordinary people, but you're not an ordinary guy. So to me, that's a leader. Right. And I'm trying to get deep with your lyrics here, but that's a leader because it's somebody that considers themselves a part of that community. Like you Absolutely, were saying. Yeah. But yeah. you know what, like, there's something special where you have, like, that responsibility to kind of get out there and be that leader.
2: I'm glad that's what the song said to you. And uh, Tell me what you really meant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, re- really what it was about, It's it's it, the song was written as, like, a kind of, like, a, a sarcastic uh, response to the view that, you know, the stereotypical musician gets, which is just, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and, you know, they must be messes, and, you know, they must be... And they must be cheaters. They must be this. You know, are you kidding me? That used to always drive me crazy when people would say that. I'm like, really? Because I don't ever find myself even opening my eyes long enough to look at anybody, to want to even be with anybody, (laughs) or to want to do something stupid. You know what I mean? I've been married enough. I've had enough (laughs) situations. I don't think I need any more in my life. There we go. Samesies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know what I mean? So it's like, all right, I think think I'm good there. Uh, But uh, so, you know, that's... uh, the song right. was more written as like a response to people that just stereotype musicians. And, you know, it was, it, it was that, really. And it was also somebody that was around me, and I'll never bring up names, but I really wrote that part about, there's a, there's a certain uh, line in the bridge that I, in the bridge, I'm actually talking to somebody specific. Okay. The bridge is the only part that it goes to me talking about somebody. Okay. Or to somebody about something. Um, and they'll never know who who they are <laughs> ever.
0: All right, so let's let's take it back a little bit. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do this sort of Howard Stern style. So you grew up in Miller Place, New York, North Shore of Long Island. Your parents, Fred and Josie, they lived paycheck to paycheck just to get. And I read this to get ravioli or pork and beans on the table for you. Is that true? At times, you yeah.
2: know, no, we, we ate good. Don't get me wrong, we yeah. ate good. But there were times where you know we were a we were middle class, lower to middle class family. We 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 got by. Right. You know, my my parents, we never wanted for anything. Right. You know, we always had.
1: Right.
2: Whether whether it was, like, you know, a couple of weeks of Pop-Darts and, you know what I mean, it didn't matter. It was just, but we always had our Chinese night during the week. They made sure that we had pizza on it one night. And we always had that sense of, like, that no matter what, we were going to be okay. We sure. were not starving ever. Sure. You know, I don't want to portray that. But at the same token, I mean, yeah, compared to... But hard workers. Hard workers, right? yeah. And they showed Absolutely. you that. Absolutely. Right? You Absolutely. and uh, two brothers, right? Yeah, my brother Joe my brother John. Yeah, my yeah. brother Joe is...
0: Uh, in Jersey now, and John is John's on the island. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, some adversity when you were younger, right? Uh, you had a congenital kidney condition when you were a child that required seven surgeries? It required a lot of surgeries. I don't know the exact amount, but I will say
2: that it was probably uh, having... They probably revisited the same areas many times that I had. Uh, I was born with a... Basically, it was just a... It, was, it seemed like it was a... I'm pretty sure it was a defect of... of. Um, the ureters, you know, the tubes that go from the kidneys to the bladder, yep. they just weren't connected to the bladder. So, and the valves that were at the top of the bladder that open up and close to let yeah. urine in and put it back out were backward, or, or they weren't there. So, so they had to re-run I, was your plumbing. I was just septic. Yeah. I was just septic. I was born septic. So, I wow. came out and I was yellow. I was just, you know, so I had to go through, they had to get me stabilized from that first. So, I don't know what they did, but they. And whatever happened over a series of a, of a few years, from what I from what I uh what is
0: that sound? That's uh, that's all the comments coming in. It's oh, okay, that's good, 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 good. That's good. No,
2: that's okay. Yeah. As long as I, as long as I, yeah. yeah. Um, so there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of adversity for my for my parents. You know, my, my my parents will still talk to me about the amount of frightening scares they had, and you know, with me and how close I was at times to maybe not, you know, not getting there and not making it. Sure. Uh, you know. I lost function of the left kidney, so I had bags, you know, nephrostomy bags out of wow. my side. You know, That's I would I would pull them out. I I would get seizures. I would get high fevers and seizures. They would have to rush me to the hospital. I mean, it was um, definitely, uh, you know, and I know now as a parent what I've gone through. I can understand, you know, now what what they definitely went through with the sick with a sick child. But yeah. no, I was not I was not a healthy baby. I yeah. was I was born
0: unhealthy. So your parents really. Went through the ringer Oh yeah they you. went through the ringer Yeah, yeah. They definitely did yeah. So you've talked about your mom a lot uh, You've spoken about your mom growing up Who was the influence to the song Josie Right Which I want to If I can I want to play a Sure A little yeah. bit of it okay. So uh, I love this song This is oh, This is one you. of my favorites man It's one of my favorites Oh thanks We got you Josie
1: In a long island town
0: It's from a live performance. I was going to say, In this doesn't place. sound like the album. Yeah.
1: forced into motherhood before her time
0: This is a lyric I want to
1: talk about. <laughs> I
0: think I know what it is.
1: <laughs> right here. In the closet with her tiny tears tin listens to the sound of music coming up the stairs then when she sits at home at night she cries
0: Joe. it's heavy dude yeah that's heavy it's stuff a, it's
2: a really deep song it yeah. definitely
0: is that's definitely. really heavy stuff so talk about that a little bit what kind of influence did did your mom have and your relationship with your mom have on your music
2: with with the music i would i would definitely say it was her influences uh, what she listened to. And the fact that she also was not afraid to, you know, every once in a while, belt out a concert for us at home and just start singing Streisand and, and go into a, a concert where she would, she would do, like, songs and just sing songs, belt them out with yep. the record on, you know. And I think that, was, that was, it was, it was evident that musicality was something that could have been in my parents a lot more if they, if, you know, that generation was very rigid. You know, very rigid, generous, so everything was like, you got to do things the way it's supposed to be done, and I think that both my parents, had they gone a different route, would have been able to have way more musical uh, and artistic and theatrical, whatever, you know, ways of of releasing their their stuff, and actually, you know, I think their lives themselves, especially my mother's life growing up, was something that I think kept her bound, and then by doing so, I think it's it's my father's uh, shyness that might have kept him, as well as maybe my mother going, "Hey, if you're not gonna pay the fucking rent, you're not playing <laughs> a fucking bass guitar." You know, it could have been that too. Uh, but I, you know, I think it was a little of everything in that regard. But their, but both of their influences were heavy on me as far as what they listened to, and how passionate they were when they listened to it. Right. My right. mother wouldn't just sing; she would just she loved what she was listening to. Connie Francis on, or or, or Barbara Streisand, and. Singing along with I remember specifically uh, woman in the moon from uh, um, stars born mm-hmm. and evergreen her classic song yep, on that yep. so there was that and and um, and then you know I think that when it comes to my mom that was like I would say that that's the heaviest influences were just her passion for music and the fact that she uh, was supportive of my my musical career obviously she was always she never went against it and went you know you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't you know my mother was always somebody that just let you, we just let us grow sure. the way we grew and we we will figure they'll figure it out you yeah know? they and weren't they weren't so hands-on that they were doing this and making us do stuff they right. were just kind of you know, you let, know you do your thing. let you do your thing yeah just yeah, yeah. you know really figure it out for yourself because you know they both, they both dropped out of high school in 10th grade, my parents. They had no choice. My mother, obviously, to take care of, you know, siblings and, you know, to do that at home when you have 10. She had 10 kids in her, in her family, you know, and she was the oldest, oldest girl. Wow. Not the oldest boy, but the oldest girl. It's yeah. a lot of pressure. It was a lot of pressure, and, and school just, you know, didn't fit into the play. And for my father, it was the opposite. My father just had no patience. He hated school, you know. Sure. Uh, he wasn't a... I don't think he was, he's like me in a lot of ways, I don't think he was a person, a regimented person that just could be told, be here at 640, show up at whatever. We're both the kind of people that are like, you tell us to do something, we're like, fuck you. We're not doing anything. I'll come when I want to come. But, um, you know, I think that's the, uh, the dance between the two um, in that regard. That's the and,
0: and then the some of his music uh, influences, I read somewhere that he was so diverse with what he listened to. He listened to Billy, Chicago, Black Sabbath. Is that true? Uh, my father listens to everything. Yeah, yeah, my brother was the Black Sabbath guy, so that got me a little mixed okay. up, but
2: that's not to say that right now my father won't go and listen sure. and watch a, a black Sabbath. He, he's, he's he just appreciated music. and I saw that in the diversity. It was like we had these he had he had the old pinto, we had this this blue pinto and any car we have out. I remember he had this, specifically had this pinto and my father was a mechanic. He worked for uh, island transportation here on the island, sure, and he was a mechanic for them. He fixed their trucks. Before he started driving for a living, but when he was a mechanic, you know, I mean, you know, uh, what was the original thing? I don't want to lose the uh, the
0: original question. Diversity and because... Black Sabbath, Chicago. Yeah, 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 yep. Yeah.
2: So he uh, he had he had these he had eight tracks, and and I the, the two specific uh, eight tracks that I remember were Chicago's greatest hits and Elton John's first album. So just the picture of El- it just said Elton John. Sure. Okay. So it was that and that, and then there was a million other things around that. You know, then you had you know you Jim Croce and you, my father listened to a lot of country too. We listened to country music too. I wasn't a country fan. When he listened to that shit, I, I would be like, shut that shit off. <laughs> but he also loved duop. Okay. So I love doo cause we would, we would go out to Valley stream every once in a while, see my great grandmother out there. We called her grandma Stonehouse. And, uh, <laughs> the women inherently in my family outlive every fucking man in the family. They kill them all. <laughs> they kill them all. So, uh, the grandfather had already died like 30 years before. She was still going, <laughs> you know, like roller skates, you know. But, um, and, you know, going out, to, going out to Valley Street, my dad would put on doops a lot in the car, you know. And then we'd have fun moments. You know, I was a kid. I was young. But we'd have the fun moments of the, of the uh, you know, the Dutch ovens in the car, <laughs> which were always the funnest thing for me because I was always the, the worst. Yeah. I, because getting my father to start cursing out loud before he even knew. like, sure. In other words, yeah, look, like I would fart like maybe five seconds before. I wouldn't even tell anybody and I'd be cracking up in the back just waiting for the, for the, uh, you know, for the whatever and all of a sudden my father would just go, you motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> then roll down the fucking window, you know? And, you know, he'd be like, son of a bitch and, you know, like, and I just, you know, we used to get a kick out of it. But all the all the, all the while, while doing that whole thing, it was like, you know. Da-dum,
1: da-dum, 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 da-dum,
0: Farting you know, to the oldies. Stuff, <laughs> fork, to
2: the oldies, man. It was incredible. So, you know, that was fun, man. It, those, were, You know, he he listened to a lot of different stuff, my dad. I mean, he, you yeah. know. And he loves and appreciates classic rock like, like nobody's business. So to go from country, if you can go to country to classic rock and even appreciate,
0: you know, he loves it all. Well, so, yeah, I'll yeah, come back to that in a second. Yeah. But. F- Fun fact in all my research, and I did some good research on you, I watched an interview where you talked about any given morning, you knew it was a good day if your mother was walking down the hallway farting. Yes. Right? Yes. 100%.
2: (laughs) 100%. Like, you know, like the song says, which which we'll turn back to about exactly why I wrote it, but, you know, being that my mother had the child that she had, she was... A rather rigid mom, you know, like she was just, but not because she wanted to be, it. she was just still carrying so much, I think, of her, of what she grew up with, that she parented, they all, we all parent the best we can, we're sure. given what we're given, sometimes we suck at it in certain ways, and sometimes we're good at it, we do we do the best we can, right, so, yeah. you know, it was that, but, yeah, you know, it was either, you know, to be honest, in my, in my house, it was either slamming cabinets, or farting down the hallway. <laughs> there was only two different, there was only two methods for my mother, my mother was mad, you knew about it, yeah. But if she was happy, you knew about it, yeah. And those days were special days because you were like, "Oh, good, mom's happy." It's a good day. Because you just want her to be happy, yeah. Not because, oh my God, save me. Although that that could have come into play too, <laughs> but it was more like you know you just wanted to see your mother happy. When sure. she was happy, nothing. It was nothing better. everybody. You could tell everyone in the house, all the boys. You know, we would all be happy. Yeah. And we'd all be like, "All right, let's." It's almost like ride the light. It's a good day. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's ride yeah. this. You know, let's ride it and go. So, but yeah, she would. She'd get up and I'd be in the other room, be quiet, and I just it was like a helicopter down the hallway, like, <laughs> down the hallway, you know. And I would, I would immediately wake up because I'd be, and, and then you'd, and then of course pancakes, you know, ensued after that. You yeah. Got, you got pancakes and you got a good breakfast just for for dealing with it. My mother was was never the shy one. Let's just say that. Mark, uh,
0: so so we got some comments here. I want to just jump into them for one sure. before we come back. So Mark Ordone said, "That's my litmus. If Mom is walking down the hall dropping bombs." <laughs> you ain't kidding uh chris chris hannigan says mike's brother likes manilow uh, that's yeah joe we'll get to joey yeah that's chris bates part. silent and, violent. Silent and <laughs>
2: violent as a kid yeah oh my god i can't uh,
0: fall anymore i'm 48 nothing comes out anymore these people are gross <laughs> i see some song requests i don't know if it's gonna be that kind of night but no. we'll see but speaking of songs so um i just i want to talk for one second about just the, the diversity in your music. So what drew me to you, right? And, and we'll kind of get into, as we kind of go down your story when I came in as a fan personally, okay. um, but what drew me to your music is not that, not just that you were a Billy Joel cover artist, right? Because to me, that's what that's what attracted me to your music initially, just because I, I love Billy, right? Absolutely. So it's, yeah. the, it's the soundtrack to my life. As yep. a Long Island guy, you oh, know yeah, it, right? Absolutely. And, we'll, and we'll get to that. But then I heard some of your original stuff and I was like blown away. And when I hear a song like, my one of my favorite songs of yours is Holy Water, right? Holy Water is so different than a lot of your songs because I hear so many influences. Like I hear like a Josie, and that could be a Billy song, right? That could right. easily be a Billy song. Right. I hear Holy Water could be Soundgarden, it could be Foo Fighters, right? right. I, right. Love yeah. I love it, I love it. It's so different and like, when you're listening to an album and you sit down and you actually, because I was always a big like, I never bought singles. I bought CDs always and when I was too. younger. Yeah, absolutely, me too. And I started it at track one and I'd finish at track twelve. Yes. And I and I wanted to learn the B sides because I didn't want to be like everybody else. Yeah. I didn't want. To, yeah, all right. <laughs> That's I'll, good good I'll for learn you. That anyway. song, but I want I want the B sides, right? Yeah. So Holy Water. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, Holy shit, this is a killer song, killer. <laughs> Thank is you. Is that something you could do here? or? No, that's more. Uh, that's yeah, not it's a, a guitar it's thing. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, yeah, I, could, I don't I could, have that queued up.
2: Okay, but, I can. Uh, I mean, I can play a verse or something of, it, of we'll, it. But it's it's yeah, it's more of a piano. Yeah, way, it's kinda, piano. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah, gospel, we'll share, gospel, almost gospel oriented. Yeah, yeah.
0: We'll share. Uh, we're going to share a link to that in the uh, in the live later on. Um, more comments. Look at that. Great originals. I, I think so too. Thank Great you. originals. Holy Water is one of my favorites. Marianne Stone. Thank you, Mary. Killer song. Killer. Um, so, we're talking about music now, right? So, you pretty much taught yourself to be a musician, right? You were sort of self-taught, to a Yeah, agree, pretty right? much all, self-taught. all except, self-taught,
2: except except from the beginning. I started playing, drum, drums was the first instrument I actually took a lesson on. Uh, Billy Dwyer, who was a big influence in my early years to, to even wanna play music, he was my neighbor, I lived across the street, he was best friends with my brother John, and he had a band. And uh, they would play in the basement all the time, and I. And I would go by their basement window. That's, that's what got me into, you know, I would just sit by the basement window and watch them play Rush and Zeppelin and Bowie and all kinds of different stuff. They played everything, Sex Pistols, yeah. you know, back then. And they jammed there all the time. And I was just this little, you know, I don't know how old I was, probably nine-year-old pain in the ass, Yeah. you know what I mean, by the window. Can I come in? Can I come in? Kind of thing, you know, and watch, you know. Sooner or later, I, they let me in to watch, and I was able to go and watch the rehearsals. But I used to watch them from the window, and across the street from them, we had Fat John. That's what we called them. It wasn't. A, it wasn't an insult. It was. A, it was a. It was a house that was. Um, wasn't kept well. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say on the block it wasn't the. It was smelly outside. If you went inside, you you fall over probably. Right. 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 But Big John, man, he had a band and he played downstairs. He was a drummer also, just like Billy across the street, yep. and he used to sing too when he played drums. I'd never seen that, and at that time I was nine years old or eight years old or whatever, and I was like. And he would, do, he would do the immigrant song. You know, it's... He would freaking just belt it out. And I'm like... And I would just sit there in awe. But you couldn't stay near the house long enough because you die, you fall over. Yeah. So <laughs> but, so between between that them, them and Billy Across the Street, Dwyer... And Billy Dwyer was my first drum teacher. So okay. that was the first instrument I actually learned how to read. It's the only instrument I learned how to really read on. Right. To read, you know, so... It went from that, and then, uh, you know, guitar guitar came right after. I realized I probably was going to need an instrument to sing with. Sure, sure. You know, to write. And...
0: So, talk yourself. You had, a, you had a little neighborhood band, right? I read that. And mm-hmm. you entered a talent show in sixth grade? No, and... we,
2: no, no not entered. We had, we had the school. It was the school talent school show. School talent show. Uh, Laddie De, uh, Decker Elementary School, Miller Place. Uh, it was back in the, gosh... I don't know whatever the years were, back then, uh, early '80s probably or whatever, uh, and or maybe less than that. And me and the, I had this I, this guy that lived on the next street next to me. His name was Dennis Capella, and I, you know, me and Dennis just became good friends because our families we would play uh, we play baseball. Yeah. We had two places we would go on the block, and we would go play games. It would be the Capella Clowns versus the Del Judas Dicks. <laughs> All right. So we had names for each other and that was the that was the whatever. And Dennis was like, Oh, I love Rush. I love Rush. We would talk about Rush and different, you know, different bands. I was a big Rush fan, like serious Rush fan once I started picked I picked up the guitar and bass. Even before that, just from listening to them. And that's what that's what inspired this sixth grade thing. So I had a guitar at that point. My brother John had actually got me a guitar, West Stone Raider. It was like the Z looking guitar with like, you know, whatever, crystals, yep. that kind of thing. Uh, so that electric guitar and my dad had bought me a twelve-string Alvarez, so I had that ready to go. That was like probably my one of my first acoustics, was the twelve-string Alvarez, and uh, but that was a bitch to tune. So, uh, but we, you know, I got into Rush, and, and the drummer never played on a real drum set. He only played on garbage cans. So I went over to his house to rehearse. I show up with my my little stage twenty-five amp, which I still have. <laughs> uh, it was up in the it was up in the attic in my brother's house, and. Uh, with a little MXR yellow MXR distortion box, that old classic distortion box from MXR, and I learned I learned playing a lot on my own. That was that was all me listening, sitting to records and and figuring it out. And sure. back then I was probably a better solo player maybe than I even am now. More of an acoustic y sure, sure. rhythm player than I am. And you know, I walked away from that a lot. Um, but that was it. Rush was it for me. Exit stage left. I mean I mean I would just. I'd have the uh, you know the vacuum stand when I was even younger than that, and just a make-believe microphone and just playing air guitar and just rocking out to, yep. to that stuff. So Tom Sawyer was like my favorite tune at the time. So we did Tom Sawyer at the sixth grade talent show. Practiced he practiced it on the uh, on a, the freaking uh, the cans. Literally, <laughs> he had four different cans set up. He practiced it on. We practiced on that, and the first time he ever played on a drum set was live in front of the whole school. Wow! So it was me. My friend Mike Ponicelli. A real drum set, though. Re- real yeah, drum set. Real, First time on case. a real drum yeah, set, okay. yeah. And I got to tell you, I mean, we sucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not going to lie to you. It's, you, you you're playing Russian sixth grade. You're definitely not playing the right chords at times. You're not playing, yeah. you know, you're fucking up. Yeah. You know what I mean? But considering he never played. Not bad, right? He practiced enough in his mind to be able to sit down sure. and know what he wanted to do, at least, and, you know. And uh, my friend Mike Ponticelli, that was his last gig. He was one of my best friends growing up, and... Uh, he got stage fright I think and he was and that like was a, I can't do this. He froze like a deer in the
0: headlights and then after that But uh, but you didn't suck so bad because somehow after that you wound up scamming your principal into letting you perform at field day, right? Is that true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. We did. It wasn't
2: a, it really wasn't a scam. I did go I did go to his office and I said I said, "Look, can we do can we do a con- It was his idea to do field day." Okay. I'm pretty sure from what I can remember. And I just went in there and I said, look, you know, because I I just got a taste of the audience and I got a taste of, you know, what playing live could be. And I I just walked in and I said, look, I love this. And I was, you know, and he just said, he said, well, look, as long as you behave, as long as you don't screw up, he goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, on field day, what if we do something on field day out on the grass? And, you know, and I was like, yes, you know, it was like because I had asked him, I said, I want to do a concert for the school. What what can I do? Kind of thing. And he, and he, he suggested field day. And field day became, uh, for the people in my class anyway, '89. I don't think anybody will forget that, right? Because it's never happened before. Right. <laughs> so I would say we were out on the grass, which is me with a guitar, uh, Dennis Capello playing drums, and and of course Billy Dwyer helping us out, right? You know, like doing sound and mixing for us across the street. So that the guy that influenced crazy. me, you know, yeah,
1: really.
0: That must it have was, been crazy. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Because every every Long Island sixth grader has had field day oh, at absolutely. one point or another. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, all right, so moved to high school. I read somewhere that you did landscaping like your older brother for a while. My
2: brother has a landscaping company, still does. A um, little plug for you, John, Express Lawn Service.
0: Express Lawn Service. This yeah. podcast brought to you by Express, by Express Lawn Service. Oh, yeah. You get
2: free <laughs> advertising because I'm on the fucking show. Otherwise, you get shit. You got to pay for it. Uh, so, um, you know, he, he had that, so I would work with him, yeah, throughout, you know, through the later high school years, I was working with John. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So... Uh, at on and off. Point. On and off. By the way, because I was, you know, I didn't like doing it. Were say. you still? Were you like gigging at bars during that time? Um,
2: probably around the same time. Yeah, I would started doing piano bar around 17, I think. Yeah, it was probably around 17, my high school uh, senior senior year, beginning okay. of the senior year, because I only made it through half that
0: year. So got it, got it. it started around then. So that at that point, this is when music becomes serious to you, right? Absolutely. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah. So I read somewhere, I actually watched uh, an interview, you were on the Today Show in 2014, and you were asked, can you put in words what music means to you? You said, it's the story of my life growing up. It means everything to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can relate to that, man, because for me, um, you know, listening, the the reason I'm enamored by your music, by Billy's music, Aerosmith, you know, all these these bands that I love, they tell a story, right? Yes. The, the, the music that really engages you, it seems to sort of tell that story of your life. You take that song and, uh, you know, I, I, I even remember like seventh grade breaking up with the girlfriend that I went out with for right. three what's days.
2: Right, is what and is, what's amazing is it's the imprints at moments, yes. at special moments. I don't think it's the music that creates those moments. I think we go through crazy moments in our life and whatever happens to be on in the radio at that moment that we're going through something, whatever music we hear at that moment, attaches itself attaches. To, to the moment. And you'll always remember that moment and you'll always remember that song and, yeah. and get that feeling again when you yeah. listen to it.
0: As horrible as the song it's might ho- be it could, sometimes. It doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't I remember, matter was, yeah. I remember staring at my seventh grade window. I went out with this girl for like two days, maybe, maybe. And she broke up with me over the phone. We never even kissed or anything. I was heartbroken, right? and I'm staring out the, min- the window at like 10 o'clock at night and I Swear comes on by All For One, Hor- horrific oh, song. Yeah. Oh. And I'm like at the top of my lungs, <laughs> I'm belting this out <laughs> in my parents' Love house. And my father, And my father comes in, opens the door, George, what the fuck are you doing? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So here's where it gets heavy. So by around the year 2000, right? You're you're trying to be a musician. You are a musician. You're trying to do this professionally to make a living. Um, you had kids at the time at that point, right? By 2000? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. kids at that time. Yeah. So by around the year 2000, you were living in a trailer in your friend Willie's backyard with your young children, right? Yes. So you almost gave up from what I read. And then you heard about the success of a local Dave Matthews cover band is yes. what I read, right? And yes. that was that Ants Marching? Yep. So yep. now this is where... I started following you, right? Because this right. is now, 97, I graduated high school by, you know, There's 97, a huge, 98. There is, there
2: is a huge uh, spiritual and musical chapter that you, that you... Talk I, to I me. Don't, I don't Tell I me. don't touch on a lot, but it, it, was, it was from 14 to like 22. That was really what I did with music at that point, was I was singing all gospel music. I was in the youth group. I had, I don't really talk about the experience a lot because it's just something that, um, I guess, you know, whatever. It's very sensitive, but... Let's just say I went through something pretty crazy at like 14 years old, and it it uh, it got me it got me looking into religion real hard, you know something like that where I really uh, I needed needed rescuing from a certain situation. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't drugs. It wasn't you know nothing like that. But let's just say I had a I had a little bit of a eerie spiritual experience in my house. Okay. Growing up. Okay. And once that happened, that really changed. That was probably the most life. Life changing moment ever for me. And I still say that to today. It's still the most life changing moment. It went on for about six months. Okay. And there was
0: some kind of uh, shit going on. So, so, yeah. So we don't have to touch on what that is, but this is something (laughs) that I wanted to talk about is, um, Something I talk about in leadership, and, and I talk about this, man, not because I'm some kind of professional in leadership, right? I own a consulting firm and a marketing agency, and I'm trying to do this uh, half for fun and half to kind of promote some of the stuff I'm doing. But okay. um, I took this journey too, right, where uh, I sort of got to a certain place in my life where everything fell apart. I thought everything was great, and then within months, days, everything's falling apart, and I kind of had to start over. Right? I was at rock bottom, no drugs, nothing like that. I'm at rock bottom, wifeless, empty house, no job. Mm. And I kind of had to rebuild, right? How many times did you do that? <laughs> Once. Uh, and right. I'm not trying to beat your record. I just want to so. see how broken you really were. <laughs> I'm like, all right, he's all right. He's broken enough. He's Dude, broken enough. I was broken, man. Yeah. I was broken, oh, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it was the first time in my life. I, I'm, I'm always, I've always been the kind of guy where um, I'm, I'm that glasses half full kind of guy. I'm gonna go out and get after it. I'm gonna fix that problem. It's the first time in my life where I, 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 think I understood depression a little bit. Like I understood what that meant. I, yeah. uh, you know, I felt very just. Uh, Felt very alone, although I wasn't 100% alone. I just I felt very alone because I put myself in this place. And so there was a certain point where I had a moment where I was just like, you need to pick yourself up and get the fuck up off the floor Mm -hmm. because this isn't how your life's going to go, right? This isn't your story. And so for me, that's something I call the spark moment. So these spark moments I've had throughout my life and and especially the last like nine or 10 years of my life, I kind of realized like, hey, if, if you can be cognizant of these moments, if you can actually see one and grasp it and go, yeah, this is, right now, this is a pivotal moment. Absolutely. Something's about to fucking happen because of this moment. Let's go, you know, let's let's grasp it. And that's why I've, I drive my wife crazy because anytime some kind of opportunity comes up, I take it. And right. she's my biggest supporter with it, but I am, fu- this podcast thing, yeah, this yeah, yeah. thing right here. Yeah. This was three weeks ago, this was a conference room. You know, right, right now this is. And it was, like a, it was a thought. How bad it's, badass it's, podcast dude well, if I could say so you, myself. Because you implement. Yes. See, that's the yes. difference. All right. You know? All right. So that's, what I I that's what I meant. That's what I meant.
2: You get a great idea, you get it done. Yeah. Me, I get a great idea. I got to delegate it to the five people that you know have to take care of it or help because I, I you know, I'll ju- it always ends up dying as a great idea. Yeah.
0: You know. And so and so those spark moments I promised myself that I was I would always take advantage of those moments because I never know where they're going to lead me. Even if it's a bad place, it's like all right, you know what? We we're, we're going to do this. We're going to fail together, but if we mm. succeed, we're all going to succeed together because I took advantage of this moment. So it's amazing to hear that even though you went through that that tough time, there was that spark moment there that took you in a different direction, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And and the death of the death of Doug Segmar was a huge thing in my yeah. life. That happened, that. that happened in 96, um, 95, actually, uh, August. And, you know, it was the most insane experience because I got to record a whole album with Doug. You know, Doug is, for anybody that doesn't know, Doug was uh, Billy Joel's bass player uh, most of his career up until, you know, up until that time, a little couple of years before that. Um, and it was a gospel record. It was, it was a gospel album that I was trying to go mainstream with. But I still hadn't gotten there, you know, as a writer. Yeah, and Doug, Doug, was, you know, and Big Shot. If you really want to know, Big Shot actually started with me, Doug Stegmaier, and a drummer, Phil Weiss. Um, I said to Doug one day, I said, Why don't I said would you go out and play Billy tunes? You know, if you know whatever." And this was just a thought. This was three, five years before Big Shot actually started. And I attribute the idea to whatever. But when I look back at that moment, we were starting that project before Doug passed. Doug ended up passing away. And we started. We did a rehearsal or two at at Doug's studio. Um, and Doug always said, "He goes, I always said I wouldn't play the music again unless it was really done, done whatever." And, yeah. You know, and he was an amazing uh, musician, an amazing bass player. Uh, and so I think that was the first time that the bug happened. But the the album that I recorded with him was gospel. And then he passed right at the end of the the album. And the album had, trust me, we had a lot of we had a rocky road getting that album done. A lot of it was because the record label I was involved in um, and Doug at some point weren't really getting, he wasn't getting paid, I guess, on time from, from Doug, I mean, from the record, Doug wasn't getting paid from the record company the way he was supposed to. So we had meetings, things went kind of bad, but Doug had moved from the house in Centiport to, uh, and built a whole new studio in Smithtown. So this whole process, we were we were recording the album during this whole process. Yeah. It took three years to record this album because it took him a good year and a half to get the studio built in Smithtown. Sure. We did the first three songs demo in Centerport in his house, and it was just amazing, yeah. the sound. And he's, he was such an amazing producer, and nobody knows that about him. But that guy could really produce. Is he, that where you did Victoria's song? Yes. All right. Yes. And Victoria's song was done there, uh, and that's, that was his favorite tune. Yeah, by far, he was like, "That's your song on the album. That's your hit." He goes, "We got to," and, and he did an interview one time, and I can't find the damn video, which sickens me, or I have it, but it's destroyed because you know, old videotapes get old and yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't play. Uh, but he did an interview on it, and he—I remember him saying, "You know, the, the 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 hardest thing was to was to say, look, we already Billy's already Billy, Elton's already Elton. We know you can do those guys, but we got to get and you could do them when you do them, but when doing your songs, we got to get you to sound like Mike Del Judas." That was his main. Who's Mike Del Judas? Like who, how are we going to get that? Because I was so heavily influenced by my influences at that time, especially gospel. I, I was really gospelly influenced sure. at, at that point, point. Um, and there were so many different bands that I could point to in that, but or artists, I should say that I could point to. Um, but that ended up being a big part of it, and we and we did a couple of rehearsals, and then when D- Doug actually passed away, the day that my daughter was born, and I Oof. think yeah, it was incredible. It was unbelievable because. She had been born, or it was the day before, or the day after. Uh, I always say it's August twenty, uh, August twenty fourth, because that's uh, my daughter's birthday. But it could have been the twenty fifth, could have been the twenty third. But it was the mo- the morning that I was bringing some, uh, bringing Victoria, my oldest daughter, to go meet her n- new daughter at the hospital. Um, and she had a, I'm a big, I remember never forget. I was sitting at the dinner table, and she had a, I'm a big sister T-shirt on. And Phil Weiss, Phil Weiss called me, the, the drummer, and he, he just said, he goes, Mike. Mike, 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 because you're sitting, you're sitting, and he just said, you know, Doug's gone. Doug Doug passed away, and I was, it just got, you know, you got to understand what it was for me working him at, with him at that point. He was the biggest thing to me, because he was, you know, I knew who he played with for all those years, and I, and I heard what he could do on tape, and, I, and, I, and from other bands he had started producing, and I was like, man, this is, this is just the perfect guy to work with. And I would still be working with him today. Wow. I can tell you right now. Wow. I would still be working with him. And, um, and you know, the album died with him. He died literally before it got released. And he, at that point, was unpaid by the record label. Okay, they didn't pay him. He actually called me. People always say, do you remember him showing any signs that he was, because he, he passed away, he committed suicide. And, um, and he was in the studio, it happened in the studio. It was tragic as wow. fuck, man. It was like, I, I wish I could describe the, the, the level of emotion at that time, because it was so shocking that, uh, and what happened is Phil, Phil had gone, gone there to go record for a session, and you know, Doug was inside. You know, so they had to call the cops to open up the door. And, but, they, but, but I mean, Doug, Doug, you have to understand something. I mean, he was such a positive musical force in my life sure. that that was it for me. I was like, you know what, maybe God's trying to tell me something. Maybe I gotta take a break for a while and not. And those years were very weird. 95 to, not, to 2000 were very weird. I played in Kid Gloves, this band on Long Island for about a year and a half or so, but nothing dominated me musically. I really was so saddened and disheartened by his sure. death, and the fact that the album never even got put out. It's and nobody wanted. I don't think anybody wanted to. Doug certainly didn't want it to go out. Right. He was clear wow. about. He was clear about that because you know. It, he was he was a perfectionist. Yeah, sure. And he wasn't going to put this thing out unless, unless everything was, was solid. Yep. He was paid, everything was done, and you know, and it ended up getting locked up in his estate, so it just never got out. And then wow. I finally, you know, a couple of years ago, five years ago, I met up with the Stegmaier family, and we talked, and we, you know, it's, there were things after all these years and misconceptions and, and stuff that had happened about his death. And for a lot of years, people were saying, "Oh, my project was the one that killed him." Oh. And meanwhile, meanwhile I'm, oh, I'm was, yeah, I'm not kidding. You know, it came back to me that way that people thought like, "Oh, it was a, it was a negative thing." You know not a, not from not from Doug's part to sure, me we sure. were I, I remember the last conversations and the last things we had a good you know, but it was a misconception because it was so sudden when it happened that everybody was just grasping for reasons, sure, grasping for and me, I was just devastated. I had no money, I was a kid, yeah, I, you know, I was young still, I had no money, I had no nothing I was relying on the same record label he was to to get money, so we uh, were both yeah, you know, that's he had heavy. Call, he had called me a couple weeks before and just said, you know hey do you." You know, you think you can squeeze some out? And I said, they're not even squeezing me, you know, kind of thing. And it was a couple of weeks later that it happened and I found out that morning, like I said, and that was the most bittersweet day of my life, I think, because you know, I had I had birth and death all in the same in the same day. And it wow. was uh there went my mu- to me, there went my original music career. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. So I was away from it for a while. Yeah, after so that. you kinda really had to hurt. find it again. Yeah, it yeah. Really hurt.
0: Yeah wow so 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 you when sick? you found it again um so it's around uh around the time where ants marching is out here local dave matthews cover band which was huge on long island at the time we used to go out in college mulcahy's wherever yeah. you know wherever they were playing and watch them it was uh, i remember once big shot came into the mix uh and you guys were out there our routine was always big shot, ants marching, and nerds. Yeah, right? nerds, yeah. They were the three bands that were everywhere on Long Island. And yeah. no matter where they were, we were just we were out there. we I had seen you guys in my college years, I, I don't even know how many times. Crazy. Okay, wow. It was like a groupie, but I never I never approached you back oh, right then. <laughs> no, I saw it. So but over the course of that time, as that happened, you built a good business, man. You spent, you sent us, you spent a solid what, almost fifteen years oh, building yeah. that thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so talk about it from a from a business standpoint for a decade and a half. What was that strategy? Since we talk leadership and business here, what was that strategy over the course of a decade and a half to build this thing? How did you know that? Or once you knew it had legs, what was the strategy to kind of grow it?
2: You know what? I, you know, I'm a I'm a day by day kind of guy, so I can't say that I had anything particularly in mind. I started the band, and I went to, uh, I had the idea to do the band, and I and I went to a, a, an old friend that I had, Gene Hendrickson. He's from that. Uh, now he's in the, the Van Halen cover band, uh, completely unchained. And I had went to him, and I and you know at first he didn't even he didn't, he wasn't interested in, in, in actually doing it, but I let him know that I was going to do it. And, you know, no matter what, I was going to do it. And then he decided, all right, I don't know, we'll get on board and and then we we kind of you know we started we did our first gig at uh the village pub and it was chef, right? and it was packed yeah. you know and a lot of that had to do with with the with you know Gene was really good with promotion. Gene was good at like pushing and pushing but sometimes you know <laughs> too far but he push push <laughs> push but he got you know we got that room full you know we you know and it started that way so i can't say that big shot suffered the same uh ills as other bands that didn't whatever we we right off the bat were were pretty successful because of why? Billy Joel. Billy Joel. That's it. Yeah. So all these people are getting the heads all in a fucking cloud over, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm going to go do It's Billy Joel. It's the brand. That's Billy Joel's brand. Big Shot, yeah. Has it become a brand now? It has, but still, without Billy Joel, there's no Big Shot. Yeah. You got it? And, so we'll, and it.
0: we'll get to it. You, okay. you actually, later on, uh, after you became a member of Billy's band, you thanked him. For, for all the years of allowing you to do that and he thanked you for keeping his music alive on the island that was right? the exact conversation
2: yep I said it first he he, he responded with that
0: yeah. that's two good guys man
2: that's two good guys we, right we there. both didn't even want to look at yeah. each other We're like, yeah. oh, thank you thank you thank you thank I'm you not crying you're
0: crying yeah yeah <laughs> so, so I want to say the natives are getting restless here you want right. to play on yeah, yeah, something yeah, yeah sure,
2: sure yeah yeah <clears throat>
0: You have anything you want to? Uh, oh, hear? dude, I'll take anything. <laughs> I want to hear. Uh, why don't you do your uh, your new one? Yeah.
2: You so, do that? Yeah. We'll talk so, about it. So I have a uh, this new song that I've been uh, I haven't put out yet officially, but I've been playing it live on the Facebook uh, live on the porch episodes. Uh, and the song the song came across to me is like a, uh, I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to tell a story about. I guess it's like. Generations. I was looking at generations and how generations go by, and in every generation we have our heroes. We have people that we've looked up to, and all of a sudden we get older and they fade a little bit. Now we are now the heroes to, to the next generation to the under us, our kids or whoever, and we hope to not repeat, or we hope to repeat the good and not repeat sure. the bad. And, and how it's uh, kind of like a comparison, you know, when you look back and you could say, you know, where did the hear- the song is called where do the heroes go and that's because i think we're always asking that my mind look back when i hear a song or i hear whatever and i think of my father i thought of my brother and i said you know what i'm just going to put it all into a song and the main thing was to have a conversation with my with my son my boys actually and then it narrowed down started out as for both and then i was like you know what i think this is going in this direction i'm going to speak to, to colby it was my oldest son and it was a specific thing that was going on in his life and i was like you know what i'm going to i want to talk this because yeah. we grew up in a broken home we weren't always together we weren't you know there was a lot of uh you know residual hurt sure residual fixing that had to be done and now we're together you know oddly enough with his mom but it you know it's it was odd and it was always that that sense of like you know am i what am i to him you know how does he view me yeah because he's my biggest challenge in that regard because we didn't live together right so it's like I wanted to be, I always wanted to be his hero, but at the same token, I had my heroes. And did they disappoint me? You know, like some of them, you, f- you feel like some may, may have or may not at different times in your life, but they're just being human. Yeah, sure. They're just living their own life trying to fucking survive. Sure. You know what I mean? Trying to breathe every day. So I had this idea to just, to, to write something to my, like almost like a letter to my son and to talk to him and to, to let him know, you know, what I've gone through in my life, and to learn from my life lessons, and then me actually talking to him at times also, and uh, kind of like a Cats in the Cradle, sure, you know, kind sure. of uh, vibe. But uh, it's called Where Do the Heroes Go? Love it. Like it. Right. Hey there, son.
1: We talk to you. Let me tell you things I don't need to teach you. May it take some time, please bear with me. Maybe when I tell you, then you'd understand me a little more. Hey there, Daddy, you remember too. Paddy's Day parade Tyler Avenue. Rocking on your shoulders to the sound of drums. Nearly seven years old, but every ounce your son. Where do the good ones go? Where do the heroes go? And hey there, Johnny, you remember too We'd be playing a ball till the sun came through But when you got older then you went your way Johnny, nothing lasts forever but the things we say Where do the good ones go? Where do the heroes But hey there, Joey, guess I never thanked you When Johnny went away, there was always you Out of those years, you were all I had But people grow different, Joe, you understand I'm thinking about Superfly, Joe The heroes go. Ooh. ooh. Hey there, son. Let's get back to you.
2: There we go. That's what happens, son. I get choked up on this part. It's a little, of a tough one. This one. I'm talking to him.
1: Hey there, son. Let's get back to you. Try to forget it but the hurt's so strong
2: Yeah, I can't do this part, I'm sorry. Better
1: the heroes go
2: heavy i
0: apologize no please don't apologize yeah wow heavy unbelievable yeah yeah hair standing up we're here here. oh unbelievable this affects you man that's uh to me that's a it's a sign of somebody that's uh it's passionate about what they do and and there's there's nobody uh that's gonna be better at their job than somebody who really cares that much you know what i mean when yeah. you, when you put, uh, you put your all into it, when you leaders, man, they, they kind of, they, they take that, that story, they take that pain, they take that love, they take that joy and they kind of pour it all into that work. So,
2: yeah, you yeah, know, that's, that's, uh, that, that's a, tu- that that line, that verse uh, is a touchy verse. It's a touchy subject. And I, I, I just can't seem to get through it a lot of times on that part. So, uh, yeah. you know. I go blank,
0: kind of. Oh, man. Yeah. Thanks for doing it, though. (laughs) No, 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 that's okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll finish the song at the end of the episode when we're at a different uh, place. That's fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, you know what I want to talk about, actually? So during that time, and this was kind of uh, a great connection of where I got to know Big Shot, um, you know, there was the the local bars where where you guys always perform local venues. Um, How crazy is it to to think back to those days where you were performing at Mulcahy's, right? And now you're you perform there almost as like a residency, really, right? Like once a month, right? Aren't you there? Yeah, like we're
2: the, we're, we've been there. We're like the house band, you should say. I guess you could say. And for the a stage long time. is named after you, right? Yeah, that was. They did a. Uh, How
0: crazy is that?
2: I, well, it happened it happened a lot of years ago, and it was a it was a really nice gesture on the club's part. I've, yeah. kn- I've known those guys a long time, uh, obviously since the days of Kid Gloves and. And, and stuff like that and doing different work with different bands there and solo work. So, yeah, Mulcahy's has always been, a, it's a special, it's a special place. Yeah. A, you know?
0: Yeah. You know. So, you're doing your thing and then October of 2013, this story's been told a hundred times so we don't have to go too deep into it because I'm more interested in your, uh, your original stuff uh, and what you do out there. But, of course, one of the biggest things, the biggest thing to ever happen to you professionally, October 2013, you were invited um, to be at the Paramount for rehearsals, right, for Billy Joel's band. Yes, by uh, Tommy Burns, right? Didn't yeah,
2: I, from, well, I, that's how I that's how I assumed it was in the beginning. So there are a lot of early interviews that you hear where I talk about it, but I think Tommy's clarified uh, to me now that it was Billy's idea. So uh, I guess Billy had it in his mind and and just said, hey, you know. I think they had, they were going to go they were going to get Wade Wade used to do it I think for them you know for each tour uh Wade Preston and uh Tommy had just said to me would you be interested in doing it you know and I guess at that point I didn't realize why he was asking but maybe my name had come up or something and, and it turns out that Billy BR and Tommy Brian Ruggles and Tommy uh well I guess conspired yeah uh, to have me come down and um obviously I obliged I was I was yeah know, very excited to uh
0: and so after a few days of that it was sort of a whirlwind of you got approached uh if to see if you have a passport and you were invited to uh perform with the band uh internationally right
2: yeah it was the day before it was the, it was a monday night um and it was the, the day before billy was was supposed to show up we had started the rehearsals on the sunday and then he was he showed up on a tuesday I, we knew about it and i guess as the days were creeping up i was i was you know more and more unnerved yeah and I wasn't in good voice, by the way. Um, at that time, I had a polyp, actually, in my throat, which is another scary moment to talk mm-hmm. about. But uh, I was—I was, I was we, were, we had rehearsed for a good two weeks with the band, and I had already come off of three or four Big Shot shows, and we went right from bi- a Big Shot show up at Turning Stoke Casino to go right to the Paramount for me to start these rehearsals. So we did the Sunday. We did the full day Monday. And Monday night, I was at my house, and Brian Ruggles calls me. Uh, probably one of the first calls I had ever gotten from him, mm-hmm. and I said, "Brian, how are you?" You know, he's good, good. He goes, uh, "What did he say to me that night?" He just said, "So we're we gonna, you know, you're gonna, gonna do this. You know, we're gonna come. You know, you're gonna do the rehearsals. You excited? Whatever. Yeah, excited, excited." And then it, it was kind of like uh, the, you know, I'm trying to think exactly the order, but it was like the day I had gotten to to the to the paramount that morning, there was a frenzy and apparently it was it was obvious that something was already being spoken about. And I and it was definitely not something I knew about. Mm-hmm. So I don't I wish I really had all three of them in the room to just go, which one of you motherfuckers did this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I wish I could just do that. But I haven't been able to do that yet. And I'll probably get a different story from each of them because they're all so humble and they're gonna want to push it on the other person and be like, No, you did it. No, you did it. But I don't know what it was, but I just one of somebody came up to me and just asked the one question: Do you know the songs on guitar? That was the question that made me, aside from the from the passport
0: thing, because somebody because you were rehearsing on piano, right? Yeah, I was rehearsing you were being on piano. Billy. I had no idea what, yeah. what would
2: even be the point of yeah. me being there. Stupid, yeah, yeah. didn't make any sense. Yeah, I need already right, needs this guy to sound check. That's what I thought. I needs a guy to sound check and rehearse.
0: And he doesn't like to rehearse. No, right. he he like, yeah. he, lo- he
2: loves he loves the the feeling of. You know, like me, in the like moment, putting yeah. out, putting out, a, putting out something and singing something, not even knowing if you're gonna, whatever. It's, it's because you want to live in, you want to get that excitement you feel. And the more you play a song, the more you practice it, sometimes that feeling goes away if you, if you beat it to death sure. too much. And he, uh, he was like that. So I thought maybe, you know, hey, maybe that's what we're gonna do. You know, maybe we're gonna, he's gonna get me. But I didn't know. And then all of a sudden, the passport question. You have a passport. And I remember just thinking to myself. Well, that's a good question, you know? Like, it's a good question to be asked. I guess that means I'm going, they want me to go to Europe, you know? Yeah. So immediately I was like, okay. And, and when they asked me if I knew the guitar parts, it's, uh, knew the songs on guitar, uh, I already knew Tommy was, I already knew Tommy is the main guy. They didn't have a second guitar player. They didn't mm-hmm. need a fucking second guitar player. Now that happened back in the 80s. Yeah. Since then, they haven't needed one. Right. Because Tommy is that guy. Right. Tommy just covers it all. Yeah. You know, You, know, you didn't, it wasn't necessary. I didn't realize at that point I was being hired to sing more than I was to, to play. I think sure. you know what I mean. So I didn't know what, but at that point I didn't know what the hell was going on yet. At that moment, right. So then I got asked about the passport, and I was like, wow, it's uh, you know, I yeah, 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 yeah. And then I immediately said, yes, I know the songs on guitar. Yeah. There was no way I was gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I, don't care if I had to go. And what I did was I just, the, the beautiful thing about the way, the way I feel about God and the universe and that kind of stuff and the way things are lined up. I had never played Billy Joel songs on a, on a guitar until the summer before I got asked to do this. And we did a trio gig that, that whole summer Yeah, at Free, in Freeport, at Broncos in Freeport. Me, Tommy Burns, Carmine on keyboard. I was just playing acoustic guitar with Tommy. And throughout that, I started singing the songs from the guitar a lot. And I was learning the tunes capoed and all kinds of acoustic just so happens sure. that I'm I'm learning these songs on a capo, acoustic, different positions, different whatever for the solo gig. Right. And now when I get asked, there was no lying really involved. It was like, no, I do know these songs on guitar. I don't know the actual guitar parts or electric or whatever, but I know I know all the changes. I know all the whatever and whatever you tell me to play, I'm gonna play. Right. You know. So I immediately just said, absolutely, I know, I know, right. I know the stuff. So. Billy came that afternoon for lunch. He showed up at lunch, which we knew he was going to show up at lunch, and it was a shit fest. I mean, everybody was there. You know, everybody knew. I guess he was coming. So, uh, when Billy walks in a room, it's it's (laughs) it's an exciting fucking moment. I don't care who you are. Uh, And I was hiding. I was because I was just nervous. You know, I mean, I knew that stuff was going on. I knew stuff had been talked about. Obviously, I got asked. And right before Billy showed up, I had literally, I was literally in the in the back room at the Paramount. Working on the tunes that they had on the list for just for sure. when, I, when we walked out there, I knew sure. I was going out there to practice with them, yep. and I was just, "What's going on?" Right, you know. And they put a microphone next to them you know, like right on the stage, and I was like, "Oh boy," you know. <laughs> so I walked out and I grabbed one of the uh, the acoustic guitar and I just started messing around. And I started playing "Band on the Run." I uh, did the opening lick, and uh, I start singing the song, and then, you know. He starts uh, you know I kind of open my eyes and he's wandering to the piano and he gets to the piano and he just starts harmonizing with me and it was uh, it was pretty evident right in the moment that it was like wow right there was just a good tone thing it was just a we had similar tones yeah you do. we almost create a dissonant we almost create this crazy we almost created this crazy frequency issue because there were moments where it's very close it's like he's just doubling you know it's like a doubling and it's easy to, to, to sound like him more when, I actually have, a, have him in my ears. Yeah. So I, can, sure. I have him in one ear and I have me in the other. So real. that's the game, is to really match his tone for the night, his cutoffs, his whatever. And at that point, that's what I started to realize in that first rehearsal, that it was, I think this is what they're doing. I think they're trying to get me to, you know. And at that moment, Andy uh, Sashon, bass player, Mark Rivera, they were not on that tour. Yeah. cuz they had they were f- finishing up previous obligations. Uh-huh. Cuz Billy had just come up with the idea let's go on the road but they where, had yeah. previous ob- ob- uh, you know obligations. So and those two guys were big vocalists as far as harmonies and so if Billy was going to go on a tour in Europe it seemed like he, we were he was going to be stuck with just really background vocals from just Tommy and Crystal. Yeah. You really need the triad. Sure. You really need three. Yeah. Minimum, you know. Um, so we went out we're really bare-assed on that tour, and the triad between me, Crystal,
0: and, and Tommy was absolutely insane. Well, that that doubling of the voice—that was kind of the goal, right? The, yeah, the goal—the goal was to, the goal was to bring it back
2: to the records. Like he was coming back yes. out; he wanted to make it sound like the records again. And there's so many parts in the '70s when you were recording, even in the '80s, I did it all the time. You just doubled yourself on certain parts. Yeah, two two unison notes together. To make it fatter, Strengthen to make it to make it. Right. it to make it stronger, and and I think he was going wanting to go back to the record to get more of a unique, you know, you know, grab that sound that that he had, you know, like, uh, and that's what we kind of did, and we we uh, you know.
0: See you. See th- this. This hits a nail on the head with it because I, I've seen Billy at the Garden in this run. I don't. I don't know. Maybe six, five, six, seven times. I, I don't even know. Um, and uh, you guys played seventy one last night, right? It was the seventy first show. Seventy first show, which is incredible. You've said, so there's a school of thought that this doubling of the voice is not not from you, but there's a school of thought saying like, hey, Billy's getting a little older, maybe we need to strengthen the voice. But you have said that he's better than ever now. Uh, yeah, I've heard uh, you yeah, say yeah. that he's better he's, than ever. He's
2: got, we've got the, the keys are you know we dropped a couple of keys for certain yeah. songs. It's no it's no it's no sure. secret. But what that did was just made a, it makes a baritone it makes a baritone sound like yeah. a tenor. Yeah. You get it because even though we've dropped the songs, the songs are now at still at the top kind of of his range because he got older and um but there are days where like you know Ale- Alexa will come on the gig and we do New York State of Mind in the original key and he's singing it like like a bird. Yeah. He's a fucking. She mental was there last case. night, right? He's a mental case.
0: She did he, a couple of songs. Yeah, last yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. he
2: is. He really is a mental case. It's. It's not. And he's not. I don't say that in a bad way. It's just like. No, he, I get it. He has. He just has this thing of like I can't. I, don't know, I can't do it, stupid. but he's still got do, it. You yeah. Know, or he doesn't want to even like go near it. Then well, all of a yeah. sudden he'll start singing like a Zeppelin tune on or something in in, in check or yeah. something, and you're like, <laughs> he's got the range. What the hell are you talking about? You know, he still got it, but he made life easier for himself. But he his his voice dropped. Yes. But it got more full. Yeah. So now it's almost like Sinatra, where Sinatra could sing like a note for me that would be really low, but it's at the top of his range, and it sounds like he's belting it. And that's kind of what's happened with, yeah. with Billy dropping the keys. He's still at the top. He's
0: reaching. He absolutely. Which is.
2: makes it sound big. Yeah. And then add the double of a young of a younger sound of him. So I go for more, I'd say, of a of a seventies eighties yes. sounding Joel, more yep. of a upper in the up in the yep. nose and the head kind of thing, and you know.
0: And that sound is perfect.
2: And when you add that together, it's kind of like the Irishman, you know, with the with the computer graphic image. Oh, when dudes. you add the young, I guess the young younger, trying to go for the younger tone with his natural big tone that he has now. Yeah, it adds youth to his voice in a sense at certain big parts time. maybe. And big you time. You know, and I think that was the magic, and I think he heard it. It, it is like, the magic. Is, you know,
0: I totally geek out over the stuff because it's the, wh- my 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 same compliment every time I go to that show is that it's as a fan right as an audience member it's like listening to the album all over again it's exactly like listening to the album which for a fan is amazing right i've seen other bands where and nothing against them but like uh counting crows right i love counting crows they want he
2: wanders from the melody
0: holy shit i remember seeing him at jones beach with my wife i think they were opening for maroon five or something like that or whatever they were co and uh he does round here which is one of my favorite songs great tune yeah Dude, Not the fucking night. song lasted 21 minutes. And I was like, he's like sitting on the front of the stage. down here. Like on LCD, like just in a yeah. hole. He's rocking back and forth, having a seizure. And I'm like. It was um, like me before. At the end of the song. Yeah. Just like, hey, oh, where'd it go? I don't know. You but know? it's like, yeah, it's it's it, there's something to be said about, you know, listening to a performance that is almost identical to the album. And then when they take the little liberties and go, you know, you guys go into what, well um, what songs do you do where you guys go into Zeppelin? Uh, uh, rock and roll. Rock, uh, we yeah. go into rock and roll for right, yeah. You May Be Right. You May Be Right, May Be right. May right, 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 right. Yeah. That, then you hear that stuff and you're like, oh shit, now I have a surprise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that stuff. The LaunchCast is sponsored today by the Leadership Experience, a coaching masterclass intentional unconventional thoughtful leadership from keynote speaker ceo nonprofit board member and tedx executive producer george andriopoulos hey that's me guys the music's getting louder and it's epic which means this is something you shouldn't miss registration opens on december 15th and we are beginning january 15th this music is so loud that means it's amazing join us theleadershipexp.com for details you don't want to miss this to give you two two quotes i heard which are very cool to listen to so september 29 2002 there was an article in the new york times by barbara DeLatner about you no. billy joel's quote a friend called me and told me to listen to this band that was playing on local tv and i said that's me they said no it's this band and they were having a hard time convincing me it wasn't me it was uncanny 14 years later October 18, 2016 Andy Green in Rolling Stone Billy Joel says I gotta chat with Mike alone I know you and your band are working a lot but I would love for you to come out on the road with us in Europe can you imagine those two points 14 years apart can you would you ever have imagined that that would have happened hell no yeah
2: never never especially I would have never seen being in his like being with him in his band I just I mean maybe from a because I was a bass player for a while, that if, that if that position had ever opened up, I would go audition for that because that would be something I would have. I just never imagined the singing thing with him, yeah. or the it just didn't come in, ever came into my mind, or uh, the guitar, or him them needing another guitar because, like I said, it was clearly covered.
0: Yeah, you know, so yeah. So, so this is what's cool. So, um, same article, right? And, and this is this is a great point. We were talking a little bit before about Long Island and kind of being from here. Um, Del Judas' connection to Joel went beyond loving his music. Both grew up in working class Long Island families and learned piano at young ages. Both also broke their noses playing sports, experienced major financial hardship, went bald, saw marriages collapse. I guess, says Mike, that we come from parallel, parallel universes. My thought, right, yeah. is that a guy that connects with your music, connects with Billy music, just like tens of thousands of guys from Long Island and girls from Long Island, Right there's more to that statement because when you're from New York, specifically Long Island, we're so drawn to your music and his music because they, those are our parallel universes too. Like we live those lives too. You know what I mean? Just being from here, it's kind of like your experiences and Billy's like they were sort of our experiences too. You know what I mean? That's kind of why you connect with that song. Like I remember writing an email, uh, and we'll talk about this in a, in a minute. But I remember writing an email to Tommy, uh, uh, Tom Cavalier, um, when we wanted you to play at our wedding. Now, I didn't know you yet at that point personally. And uh, I wrote this whole long contrived email about, um, about the songs and how much I connect and yada, yada. And I talked about how Brenda and Eddie, right? Yeah. And scenes. I, I'm Eddie. Like, I, I lived that, man. We're all Eddie. Yeah. yeah. Like, that, that, that's why we connect to this music so much. 'Cause the li- Cause the lyrics are so
2: literal. Yeah. They are so literal that it puts you in a place. It takes yeah. you to a place and, and yeah.
0: And I yours mean. are the same, honestly. Like I listen to Miller Place and that could be a Billy album. Totally. Not not, not comparing the artists, it's just like A very early it's that one. Same a very, yeah. Early. Yeah. <laughs> very early. Yeah, very early, yeah. Um before he before you he... Yeah. So we're are you good on time? We're we're a little over. Yeah. You good? Let's keep it go, go, going. Let's keep it going. Uh just do a couple of Yeah, take some Yeah. Going to see Billy first time in February. Look at Tom. Tommy sending emojis everywhere. Nice job, man. There you go. Squinting on his phone there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dennis Farrell. Jelly equals jealous. What is your reign? Oh, Tom, play Mona Lisa. Uh, yeah, man. We'll we'll play. We'll actually play that uh, a video. We'll simulcast that. Oh man, your fans are crazy, man! All right. Oh, they are? <laughs> what are they saying? Like, yeah, you can say it. Oh, until the end, somebody's asking for. it. Yeah, I'll do. I'll do that before. before yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, August 2015, you open for Billy at the Coliseum. Yeah. That must have been a sick moment. That was incredible. Kevin James is in the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin James came out that night to Miami 2017. Yes. He's a nut job. He's unbelievably (laughs)
2: funny. yeah, Crazy funny. That night, he was crazy funny that night.
0: Yeah. So long story short, he winds up texting you uh, looking for a theme for his uh, then the new CBS show, Kevin Can Wait. You sent over Ordinary Guy. Yes. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. That's it. 15 minutes later, I got a text back saying, love it. Absolutely love it. Everybody loves it. Became the show's official theme. Unreal. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I'm, I was so I was so glad that somebody finally asked me for to do anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, I, I was, you know, anybody on that level. And of course, you know, you're always going to jump at at anything. But there was only one song in my mind. Actually, there was two. And I had a, uh, I'll do a little demonstration. Yeah. But originally the song was written on guitar. It wasn't It wasn't on piano. We added the piano at the end, and there was a. a it, was, it was supposed to be more of like a ZZ, you know.
0: totally jazzes it up. Yeah, the right? piano made it the real pop
2: thing. This would have made it more bluesy, more whatever. And we tried you
1: know, I don't want no ordinary.
2: And I was like, you know what it needs? It needs something behind behind the guitar or something and it ended up taking over the guitar. There's acoustic guitar under it, but the piano is like the main uh the main riff. And then we we added the the clicks. Yeah. We added some finger snaps and whatever, but the reason I was excited about that tune was because uh I thought it sucked, (laughs) and I really did. It was one of probably, from start to finish, I'm saying, it's it's not a good song. You know what I mean? It's just not a radio, whatever, but it had fun parts, and for a sitcom or for a movie, all you need is a good part. Yeah. Okay? That's what I was thinking in my head. So I, I knew that... Yeah. I heard that behind, like, the beginning of, like, rolling credits. I saw credits, and I was like, this is the song. It, it's exactly this that. Is, this is what it needed, right? So I sent him that, and the lyrics, too, were very— I think they, they portrayed what he wanted to really portray as, you know, that. You know sure. what I mean? Like, that this, is, this is the image we're going for for my character on the show, and I think it worked. He, he, he said he first he played it for the crew, and then he played it for his wife. His wife—his wife—it sold right there because yeah. his wife was like, that's the song. Yeah. You know, they like they they really liked it. There was one other I was gonna pitch and it was uh a song called uh, No Place Like Home. I thought that might've worked too, which is uh I got now I got ordinary guys stuck in my head. And <laughs> I don't do any of these songs anymore. Uh,
1: uh it's like home. Uh
2: You don't need... Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's uh, I, I'll get I'll get okay. back to it. But yeah, yeah. When it when it when it jumps back into my mind, but it's like Yeah, just jump right in. In
1: a place like
0: home. Uh,
2: again, it's, a, it's a word issue, I haven't sang it in a while. <laughs> but it's uh, you know, it it was it was definitely more of like that same kind of thing where it was like had some fun parts. And uh, it, it didn't quite, but it didn't quite make it to the, to the grade like Ordinary Guy did. Ordinary Guy in my head was like, he's I think this is the one. Oh, that was it. It really felt like that was going to be it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that, it's great. Oh,
1: yeah. You do not have to be a heartbreak romance. Then your money make your cargo little faster. Fly an airplane, Aruba to Rome. Place like home. And I thought
2: that could have worked maybe for a, a catchy little chorus riff would have worked for a show like that too, but...
0: This was the one. This was the for one. For sure. Yeah, it was no Without doubt about doubt. it. It was no doubt about it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, let's jump off music for a 2nd we'll, we'll, we'll hop back. So you, you talked about fatherhood before. You got yeah. uh, emotional with, uh, with the song you were singing. Um, so four kids. Yeah. Divorced a couple of times. Yes. Right. Um, Similar track record to Billy, we're close. It's uh, we're uh, we'll both listen to def- me. Yeah, don't try and break <laughs> any records. You hear me? <laughs> no records being broken. I'm done. No records, Audie. <laughs> no records, Audie. Talk about before and after the success, and and as far as being being a father, being a, a husband, being a man in your family. Um, talk about being that leader in your family. What is what does that mean to you? I mean, you touched on it a little bit with that song. Um, I see, you know uh, the the little bit that I, I know you personally, and then watching all your lives and, and your posts and everything like that. Your family's everything to you. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, your family's everything Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. Um, but but talk about how much it means to you to be a leader in your family.
2: Well, it's such a it's you know it, it's one thing to have a business and have guys under you, you as you would know and to and to make sure they're taken care of. And there's a sense of responsibility that obviously comes with running a business and running any kind of organization. But when it comes to your family, it's it's a moral obligation that I think men are, it's just instinctive into parents, into, into men and women to just want to do, you want to do the best you can to not not do all the things that your parents did to you in a in a way that pissed you off, but you want to take the good and you want to inject that into your children. You want to make sure that obviously they're making right decisions or obviously whatever but it's 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 a role that i take so damn serious you know uh with my family that maybe i'm too serious for my own good sometimes that's because you always want better for your children than you want for yourself yeah that's just something that go that's inherent in every parent and you know you want better for them and a lot of times what that would mean in 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 some situations would be that well We should push them in the things that society says that we should push them in and we should whatever. And I can tell you now that we are not that fucking family.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. We're not the, you gotta have, you gotta go to school. You gotta, we're not that family. We're about passion. Our family's about my, I push my kids about passion. Yeah. If you don't love what you're doing, don't do it. Don't waste my time, my money. Don't waste yours, more importantly. You have to push what you know. What you you know. You know passion. I know passion. Yeah, and, I, and I, know, I know how long it may take to get them there because it took me that long. Yeah. And that scares the shit out of me because I know a lot of things could go wrong you know, like along yeah. the way and things could, could go bad and they can go south. And as a parent, that's the one thing you're scared of the most and, and, le- and that letting go aspect of your children. And that's what I've seen from them when they were younger. It was like I had more control you know, of what happened to them. Yeah. But as they get older, uh, you don't have that same control. Yeah. Now all of a sudden they're making their own decisions, their own choices that you might not have made for them or you might not have even wanted to push them in. And then you're caught in that in that conundrum of support and love to what they're doing as opposed as a parent and uh, you know it's like it's like the whole thing how can God people say how can God be omniscient and know everything? Well, it's pretty easy. He's in a fucking helicopter and he sees every goddamn thing that I can't see. <laughs> That's how he's good at everything. Yeah. He sees it all from a different perspective. Yeah we as parents see the same thing. We see it. Like, we've been there already. We've done it. All. Don't do that. You know, we're always looking to fix and whatever. But the truth is, would we be who we are if we didn't fucking fall over that chair or if we didn't screw up or if we didn't whatever? So it's, 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 I think it's finding the fine line between allowing fuck-ups. And what I've always said is, I allow my children to do, to live and learn their own mistakes until I'm there to catch them. Yeah. Because it's inherent that I'm going to have to. Yes. At some point, they're gonna fuck up yeah. like I did. And they're gonna think that their idea is the greatest thing in the world when they're younger, and all of a sudden it's gonna cause them something that might, and I'm just there to go, Ah
0: no. That's it. Nope. Here you go. Back up. Try again. I'll tell you something. My 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 daughter, I have two two little ones. My daughter's eleven, my son's nine. Same thing, you know, divorced home. Um, very young though, right? Yeah. So I was able to figure my shit out at when they were very, very young and, and become the father that I always knew I could be, right? Yeah. And so, my son is the clone of his mother, right? He's got a big heart, he's he's a, a very easygoing kid. My daughter is my clone, right? She's yeah. my clone. Yeah. She could be very difficult, she's a smart, smart kid. She could be very difficult. Um, and so, She's at, she's at that age now where she's going through some stuff every once in a while and she'll push back, she'll push back. And my line to her is always like, you could push as hard as you want. I'm never, ever giving up on you. I'm right here. Yeah, We are all right here for you. Keep pushing. Yep. Don't worry. I'm yep. not going anywhere, yep. you know? You talked about the falls, right? Do you share those falls with them? Your falls? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm in agreement. Oh yeah,
2: because if they, because because they're looking to us. We're 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 the it's it's the whole God complex thing. Whereas you know it, it happens to people that are in churches. Cause I know I went through the church, and it's like you view your pastor, but you you view your pastor almost as if you view your parents, right? Everything is channeled through how you grew up and how you were raised. And we often compare uh, wrongly. We compare our parents to we we equate them to them to God. So yeah. like What they must think is how God must think. Sure. Right. And it's a similar thing, and that's what I don't—I never want to happen with my children. I don't want them to ever think that I'm lording anything over them or making them whatever. But at the same token, there are times as a parent where you gotta gotta be firm. Yeah, you gotta be whatever. Well,
0: it's riding that—it's riding that train. It's yeah, a, it's
2: a—you know—it's a fine line there. With that. I
0: think I think as a as a leader in the family, right? I, I look at uh, the leadership in my life in in three different aspects, right? One is at home, one is at work, and one's in my community. All very important to me. Um, and we'll talk about later when those kind of all came together um but at home the the route i took is that i went through some shit man i went through the mud mm. um for a long time self-inflicted and so i share that all with them because yes, you have to i want yeah. them to know uh the dad dad was never perfect because you know sometimes you know when you're a certain age you look at your dad and, you're like, and that and that's and that's, and that's and that's right?
2: that's what i was kind of getting at there was is, is that you, you got to give them an example of humanity. Yes. You can't just think that, you can't just, they can't just look at you like your hero because what happens? Where do the heroes go? Yeah. That's what happens. You get it? Yeah. All of a sudden, where the fuck is my hero? And the reason you have that hero is because your expectation was too high. Yeah. But we don't have to set the expectation too high with our children if we're just honest with them because that's what they really need the most. They're looking to you for everything. They're looking to you for every answer, for yeah. every whatever. And if you could teach them how to fail, not tell them how to fail. Yeah. They're going to fail anyway. Yeah, at times, and that's how they learn. But if you could teach them that that's okay, that's part of the process. Yeah. If you don't fail, you don't get up the next step. You yeah. never get up the next step if you're not willing to fail. You got to be willing to fuck up. Yep. It's, you know.
0: Completely agreed. Yeah. Completely agreed. Um, yeah, that's heavy, man. It, it, it makes me very emotional talking about that stuff because it becomes such a mush at this point, with anything to do with my kids. Are you going to forget what you're saying to now? I Is that where we we're going? Yeah. Yeah. Get the beer <laughs> out. Are we to smack you through now? <laughs> you should have slapped me in the head when I was about to cry. <laughs> Just, you know. Um, so so last night we talked about it. Last night was number 71. I have been fortunate enough to see you do this many times, um, but you have your moment during every Madison Square Garden concert with Billy where you perform Nessa and Dorma. Huh. It's so huge, man. I tell you right now, my wife melts stay away my wife melts every time she sees you perform that song uh she's a she's a pianist herself and she she loves that type of music and sound um but you say she's a penis she's a penis yes (laughs) how do you talk about your wife like that you (laughs) fucking sick maniac (laughs) um i actually i want to play i want to play a clip of this because this is it's it's so powerful uh and then we'll talk about it for a second so what do we have this here Uh, we're have it this isn't as smooth as uh, some other shows, man, but it's not too oh, shabby. Oh, you kidding me? It it's it's not should not be sm- It
2: should not be smooth and it should not be shabby. Here we go. Mm-hmm.
1: Nelson Do
0: Powerful. It's it's, it's one of my favorite moments of, of every one of those shows. Thank you. Um, I looked at you ever. I'm, first of all, how did you learn that song? Is that something you just? Yeah, I, I saw Michael Bolton doing on Oprah Winfrey. Ah. That's what started me off, and I was like,
2: wow, a pop singer doing an opera song, and I was like, opera, you know, which made sense to me. Sure. Because what I never liked about opera was the rigidity, rigidity. You know, yeah. it was it was just fucking rigid. Everything had to be no like too, yeah. uh, everything. No yeah. no dynamics. Pavarotti was one of the first ones to me that introduced a lot of dynamics into, like he would do that part,
1: splend,
2: yeah yeah yeah, and go into a big, which isn't typical. Not typical, right? Most of the guys will go splend, yeah. you know, like yeah yeah It's yeah, like yeah, come yeah. on already, you know, you're blowing your load all over the fucking <laughs> song, you know. So I, I think it was I, I like the popper approach because you get to you get to have your own voice in it too. Yeah. It could be me, and then all of a sudden, when I need to go opera, I'll go on the bigger notes, the money notes. Yeah. But not on the not on the the stuff that's needs to also sound sweet and sound. Sure. And so I, I think that's why I always fell short in opera was I was like I can only handle about
0: ten minutes of listening to it before the fat lady sings and it's all over. <laughs> Crazy lyrics on this. I actually I ran these through a through a translator. No it, sleep. It, do you know no, what they? No sleep. No sleep. Nobody shall sleep. Nobody no shall sleep. sleep. Yada yada. My it sounds like me. It sounds, me.
2: it sounds. It sounds like me at home. No sleep. Yeah. No sleep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no sleep till Brooklyn. And then vanish on night at the end. Set stars. Set stars. At dawn, I will win. I, I will, will win. win. I will win. That's crazy. Vincero.
2: Yeah. I will win. Yeah. It's crazy. A, it,
0: let me tell you something. I don't.
2: I don't think I've watched any song more or renditions of any more song on the internet than I ever did with with Desondore. Yeah. I was entrenched in it so I just said to myself you know what I haven't sang classical since high school let me me fuck around with it you know what I mean so I went in my studio it took me I'd say a good I had to really sing it for a good three weeks to get that muscle back that that operatic muscle Sure. you know it's easy to sing a a a journey high C sure or a high B because it's a different kind of voice yeah you know but when you're doing opera and you got to do a high B or a high A or anything like that It's frightening yeah. because it's all, it's all, you you can't, you know, you psych yourself. There have been nights I almost shit the bed, you
1: know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so another leadership question here. Is it strange? And this says a lot about you, I think, but is it a strange dynamic shift to be every other day of the year, the guy, the front man by day? And then you go into that Billy Joel band alter ego once a month as a backup vocalist for one of your musical heroes. Is that fucking nuts for you? It you. That's probably it's probably the best one of the best questions you could ask because it's it's
2: definitely uh, it's puzzling. I don't know how to describe it. And people always say, you know, like, oh look, he's so humble. He goes back and he plays Bonkays. You have to understand something. They're two different gigs. Yeah. So that the, the Long Island me, Mike gig is the only gig I really know. Yeah. This came along after. Yeah. I'm real good at working for people. I can, you know, I'm I'm a good, I could be a good employee as long as you're not a prick and you're not (laughs) talking down to me and I'll slap you. But if you, you know what I mean? Like, but Billy's not like that and the situation is so different. So one day the responsibility is completely on me. Yeah. So people say, what gig is hard? I've had people ask me, what gig is harder or what gig is uh, my gig? Way harder. Yeah and people go how could you really? say that you're only playing in front of a thousand as opposed to 50 you know at a stadium and I'm like because it's not on my fucking shoulders yeah all I got to do is show up and be there for the boss you know what I mean and yeah. do what I'm supposed to do and it's different being the hired hand your responsibility gets limited down to just what you really need to do yep and that's what you're there for and and, and from a boss's standpoint that's what I want my guys there for yeah I want my guys there just to do their job smile be happy, you're there. Sure. Show everyone you're happy. Yep. And if you got any problems, you're gonna be a jerk. Shut the fuck up and go home. You know. And I'm sure Billy feels the same way. He just wants support around him. So for me to play support act is a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And I'm doing it to somebody who is like, he's my musical father. Yeah. He's, and in a lot of ways, he is like my real father. Yeah. And I gotta say that. And I think that that's what's gotten confusing to me was oh not confusing, but actually. It was an affirming thing for me, you know. He was like an affirmation of just like, wow, God has me around certain people, or certain, you know, like for instance, I've been been married, or I'm around a ton of Virgos, right? Why is it, you know? Yeah. What do we, what do we, whatever? And when I look at Billy and I look at and and I look at my father, they're both gentle people. Yeah. They're both not ever looking. They're non-confrontational. Don't want to fight. They don't want to argue. they're very peaceful until like you can't. Do you push? Do you push? And and I think that to me has been a has been a huge thing. Is I've also learned from Billy a lot. You know that how sure. he how he handles things, and how he. And, but I also noticed that we're just naturally a lot alike in that way. Is that we both don't want to be the bad guy, the bad boss, the bad, the overseeing. You know sure. belligerent. You know eh, talking down and condescending. And uh, and Billy's not like Billy's a he's just a gem to work for so that's great in in finishing that it's just that to work for him is a joy it's and it's and to, to help and to be there and to be staring at him at moments in the night and having conversations in our brain yeah uh You can imagine what the fuck that's like coming from where I come from. So, yeah, no. It's it's almost like the.
0: It's unbelievable. The ego's not even. It's not even that the ego goes away. The ego's not even there. It's not even there. It's not even there. Never has been. It's a totally. He would never have somebody
2: like me in his band if his ego was there. You understand it? I love that.
0: You got to surround yourself with with those kind of people, man. So, there's there's a. I want to get into Mona Lisa in a little bit, but leading up to Mona Lisa, there's a song especially for the people that come see you in concert and watch your live from the porches which if you are not by the way if you're not a fan of of mike on social media i'm going to throw that out there now you have to follow mike i'm going to put all the links um in the comments below after this is over and we share it um you got to follow it mike does this thing every so often and he's actually taking it to the stage a little bit too he does his live from the porch where He he's uh, in parts unknown, living in a secluded, gorgeous house, right? And uh, and he goes into a studio and he plays like a anywhere from like a two to five hour concert for all his fans, (laughs) who who are getting their money's worth because it's free. And uh, one song to me that's just right now it's it's linked to you in so many ways. Maybe it's just for me, but Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, right? Yeah. Um, man. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play a moment that I had. With you here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint the picture for for the audience. So, um, I I was married uh, a year and a half ago. I got married to my wonderful wife, Colleen, and uh, I met Colleen because uh, I knew her sister before her. So the the long and short of it is How that good did you know her? I so we were uh, younger sisters. <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> so I had to come on. You walked into that one. Go ahead. Colleen's Colleen's <laughs> younger sister, much younger. Colleen's younger sister, baby and sister, I, baby sister, <laughs> baby. and and Colleen and their other sister, we all went to the same martial arts school together. Um, you know, me as a hobby. So you could kick each other's ass so if anybody could kick got on one. Asses, right? That's awesome. So I met her sister Shannon there, uh, and it's a crazy day to be talking about this right now. But I met her sister Shannon there. Uh, I didn't know Colleen yet. A couple of years after I met her, we found out that Shannon had gotten sick, um, and so. She got uh-huh. sick, uh, uh, myself and a few of our mutual friends, we started a nonprofit called Shannon's Fight to Aid Shannon and people like Shannon, other kids like Shannon who were sick. Um, and so that relationship with Shannon brought me my relationship with Colleen. Um, and and, I, and we, now I feel like shit. And now you feel like shit. Thanks. and so there goes my joke and so she and so uh unfortunately a couple of years after all this went down we we lost shannon a couple of years later to cancer i'm sorry uh thank you um and so years later colleen and i get married and we wanted to honor shannon um at our wedding and the the first biggest honor for this was we had the privilege of having you and Big Shot perform at our wedding, which was probably one of the most unforgettable experiences of my life, man. You literally made it the the best wedding in the history of weddings, not just because we had this big name band, but because you saw it, man, you felt it.
2: It was unbelievable. You
0: look out in that audience, yeah. and it was just love, man. It was. It was all love, every single person in that room, and, and I want you to know you did that, I will never forget that. I'll man. never forget it. You did that. And so I wanna play a moment here. We wanted to honor, as I'm getting teary-eyed now, we wanted to honor uh, Shannon at the wedding uh, and have a special moment for her. Um, There was a song, Hallelujah, that after she passed away that meant a lot to us. Uh, I made a video that played at her wake and funeral. Um, to that, and it just always jumped out at us, right? Hmm. And so we, Shannon's favorite color was purple, so we turned all the lights down. We had the purple lights on there. We we made a, a purple drink called Purple Rain that we passed awesome. out to that's everybody, awesome. and <laughs> that's we great. had you play. So I actually want to I want to cue this up real quick. So oh, you have the video it. from the way I do. Oh I do. my goodness, yeah. that's great. It's a it's a shitty quality because I of think course. if I'm I on it, if I'm
2: on it, it's shitty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I recorded <laughs> I this out. off of the TV, but here we go. So we, we wanted to thank everybody for coming, and we wanted to take a moment here to honor somebody who is not with us tonight, uh, and somebody who kind of made all this happen. And so we want to take a moment to honor Shannon Searls tonight. Um, so we want everybody to raise up their glass. All right, we have the purple rain, which is a special drink we have for Shannon tonight. Oh my God, look at that belly. Is so everybody raising <laughs> their glass of choice? You were so nice to bring Shannon. You were spilling. You were spilling. I he's gonna do a special song that we want uh, for Shannon. So everybody raise your glass. And toast to Shannon. Also say that And we'll get to the The Mona Lisa thing In a second But um, This song for me Every time I hear you see it, so, it, Sing it It's so special Not just because of that But because of uh, You had that Miller Place uh, performance Where you did it With your daughter yeah. too Which yeah. was huge Oh yeah Do you want me to cue it up Or uh, Sure if you want
2: I mean you know what If you could do the studio version That we did on, on YouTube That was uh, so That's the first you know i We put ever the link. I'll put the together. link if I'll put, put the, link, for I'll that. Put the yeah. link up afterwards Yeah Yeah sure Yeah so
0: yeah, powerful man. Yeah, really yeah. powerful. And she song. sings she just sings the hell She's out good.
2: of it and I find myself singing her version of it now. So I don't even I don't even know what the original version is. I just kind of do it the way I've heard her do it cuz she just has such a unique approach She's good. to certain certain parts
0: of it, you know. And and I and I got to I got to admit this. I kind of I regretted it even though I don't because we wanted we, we we pictured it we wanted your voice singing that at the wedding. Tommy actually asked us if we wanted to invite Samantha, Samantha yeah, to come yeah, to the wedding yeah. and I was like, "You know what? We want Mike to do it. I would love to do it, but yeah, no, no, you know no, what I'm I mean? Glad, but, yeah. I'm glad because like, you know what, it started me off singing it now." Yeah. Yeah. I
2: wouldn't sing it before because uh, it was kind of like I am hey, so Sam's song. It, so you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm so happy. Um so so that jumps us into into Mona Lisa. Um dude, probably ugh, I keep saying this, one of my favorite songs, but Mona Lisa was uh, one of our wedding songs. Um, the uh, the song, first of all, is incredible. I- incredible, I think one of the most powerful songs that that I've ever heard of yours. Thank um, you. And, and the one where I go, yeah, man, if any of these is gonna be the monster hit, this is it. Right, this yeah. is it. Um, I'll play a little bit of it, and, and we'll talk about <laughs> how this is actually a, a thing. Uh, yeah. Uh. yeah. You are my
1: sanctuary, my Mona Lisa You always had my heart, even when we were young You always eased my worry, with just one look I found So past the complication, it seems so easy we shed our old religion The walls are grumbling down There was no damn good reason For why we let love down I'm on your own. Touch the ground.
0: Real song. I'll I'll post a link to that um, as well on YouTube. And, and guys, you could actually just hop on Mike Del Judis's uh, YouTube channel. All of this is on there. All of it, except my wedding video. But if you want, to, you can put that on there too. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Such a such a powerful song. One of the memories from from our wedding that I'll never forget is. You sang that, and you said this to us afterwards: "Is that it was like we were the only two people in the room." 100%. Man, we were so in there, and then that 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 powerful that crescendo where you go, "You are my sanctuary, my Mona Lisa, baby. You are my solitary." I can't. I'll never forget my wife just singing that, like screaming uh, it to my chilling. face. You give me chills. Oh, dude, unbelievable. I don't get chills from my own shit. But you get, you're
2: giving me them, so.
0: But that that music video. What oh, the fuck, man? man. Kevin James yeah. on your music video. Yeah. Who are you? How are you even here right now? I don't even understand why you're in my office. Well, I would be <laughs> here anyway. You're a fucking sweet man. I'll tell you. That. My friend.
2: Um, but the truth is I think I you know, I think we all know the industry has just changed, you know. Like it's it's hard to it's hard to get that career as a singer songwriter anymore. A career, you know. But no, that song came that that uh video was um that was all Kevin's That was all Kevin's idea. I mean, I, I, what happened was we had come to the end of uh, Kevin Can Wait, right? We didn't know whether or not he was getting the next season. So there was downtime. And with Kevin, downtime is not something that uh, sure. he likes. And he loves it, but he, he gets creative in those moments. And he's one of the most spontaneous people when it comes to business. And he was trying to incorporate music into his live act, into his uh, stand-up act, thinking how he could do it comically. And whatever, but, and I didn't seem to work in that because a lot of my stuff's just too damn serious and yep. it's just too damn whatever. So we were just sitting in his office and, and it, he, he literally had just, he was just, we were kind of just all sitting there going, ah, all right, well, if we're not going to do the live thing, what can we do? And I remember just sitting there going,
1: all right, I,
2: I got one gun in the bullet right now. You know, it's a new one. It, it's fresh, so I'm going to perform it well for him because it's fresh for me. And it's one that I'm really proud of. And I was like, you know what, let me... I go, Kevin, I got a song. Just listen to this. And he had his keyboard set up in the middle of the room. And there's a bunch of people from production and his production in there and whatever else. And I was sweating. I was like, oh, God, here we go. You know, so let me play this for him. So I just start doing the song, uh, Close. As you, what I usually do. I close my eyes for about four minutes. And I got to the You Are My Sang with the part you're talking about. And I got almost through that part when I finally opened my eyes, and at that point, Kevin was already pacing. Yeah. And I mean pacing. And I got done with the song, and he just goes, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And he's on the phone within, like, five minutes calling a video crew. He's like, we've got to make a video of that song. we got to do a video of that song. And it was just and it was the, the weather outside was snowing and he had all these ideas Perfect. in his head. for It just couldn't have went. But I mean, I literally took the gamble and just sang it like that in the office and people from Sony were there and, you know, people were coming. He was like, listening to this song. You had people coming in and out yeah. to hear, you know, but uh, that, that that was the moment. And, and you know, Kevin, I'll tell you this, man, I, so much time had passed in between shoots that I kind of thought at times maybe wasn't ever going to go anywhere or get done because he's busy, you know? And man, he's just a man of his word. And when he did it, he did it. He did a hundred percent. He did it a hundred. He hired a great video crew, a yeah. great producer, to come in and do it. He hired Tony from Dancing with the Stars to help him. Um, and I think what happened when? He, oh yeah, ready? So this yeah. is an interesting story, but it'll it'll be quick. But I got done with the song, and then we started talking about what should we do with it, right? And I know he was already got to make a video. We got to make a video. But he had scheduled Fallon. Fallon was coming up. And okay. He had that scheduled. All right. Now, I mean, you're going to look at the... Maybe one of the stupidest people on the planet right now. <laughs> for, okay. Or maybe smart in the future. We'll wait to see if that even pans out. All right. But he was so excited about it. And this is how Kevin is in the moment. He's like, okay, get you on Fallon. We'll do it on Fallon. Yeah. Now... There was no video yet for me to, you know, like what you're looking at right now. It was just basically my, my, his, his idea and then my response. You understand? Yep. So here I am now for 20 minutes talking him out of it. And I'm literally, and he's looking at me going, are you like looking at me? as if to say you crazy? I'm, you could go on Fallon or whatever. But to me at the time it was hyped up. There was, he was the guest. I wasn't the guest. Right. Which meant that somehow he would have to be. He he would get involved in it live in some kind of to me I thought at least in my head in a comical way. This might be my first single like that actually gets nationally released in a in such a forceful way. Yep. And I just didn't want it to be satire. Yeah. So my first thing because he I was like well I just said to him I, I think the conversation was something like and it was uncomfortable for a few minutes but he's such a down to earth guy that he you know he. Uh, You know he's a down to earth dude, so there's no there's no doubt that he was gonna be sensitive to the situation. But I said, well, if we do it on Fallon though, and you're the guest, like I'm not I'm not the guest. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel right about it. Are you gonna do some kind of comedy thing behind me, or are you gonna be dancing with Fallon, or like, you know, I didn't know what what was he was gonna do to make it part of his you know show or his or his feet you know his his appearance. Um, So I kind of fought against that a little bit. And I went against the grain, and even with the video, I had said to him, I said, you know, he just took, from that conversation, he took uh, my sentiment, which was just, let's keep this, I want to keep this serious, because I think, you know, you're so used to doing, like, comedy roles, comedic roles, that, you know, is it possible that we can make this, like, a, a, a literally like a serious music video, and that, you, you know, and he t- he totally looked like at first, he was like, Looking at me as if to say, this idiot's trying to talk me out of, you know, trying to talk me out of doing this, uh, you know, Fallon. How That's would, crazy. How would anybody talk me out of going on Jimmy Fallon <laughs> playing? But uh, to me, it wasn't ready yet. It was, like a, it was like a turkey that looked great on the outside. It just wasn't cooked yet. Yeah, You know, he yeah, had a yeah. bite into it. it I, I, poof, I, don't, I totally know.
0: get it. I'm, uh, I'm kind of the same way with my work when it's like, you yeah. know, when you're not ready for it, you're not ready for it. Yeah.
2: yeah. Wow. So, and, and, and it ended up going where he ended up taking the video so seriously. Like, he totally went from... Maybe not even agreeing with me at first, or thinking, "What are you nuts?" To really embracing what I wanted from the video, and he just delivered. It was like, you know, to see Kevin did. You know, like I said, he got Tony from Dancing with the Stars. He, uh, he, you know, he took it seriously. He yeah. really took it. Th- you know, and he loves dance. Kevin, I know he does a lot of. You know funny dance interpretive dance he does but but he, but he, but he really appreciates and loves dance i watch like, him on yeah.
0: all the uh, uh all his social media posts he's always doing some kind of crazy yeah, dancing. Yeah yeah. yeah yeah unbelievable so all right well uh we're winding down here i want to i want to do a couple of things with you and then uh offer you if you want to do uh one last song sure. totally up to you okay. um one question i have before we hop into the final things right totally uh, Unrelated or related to music. Do you have ba- what does balance mean to you? Uh, balance,
2: balance means. I wouldn't know what balance means.
0: I wish I. I wish. Do I you had. operate in the chaos and not the balance? Yes. Yes. But I, it works for you. Yes, it does. It yeah. does.
2: Even though, even though I will reach the point of critical mass. And I will explode at times in myself, even for myself and I'll get or I'll get physically ill from carrying it all. Yep. Balance to me is making sure that everyone loves each other. Okay. Around me. That's strong. That's that's the str- to me, making sure that all of my kids and my family and that everyone is taken care of, that's balance. That's strong. And if I can do that and if I can be a part of that, I'm really grateful to God for that because I came from a time when I didn't have money. I was like told you, living in a trailer most yeah. of my life. I didn't have I didn't have much. I did, was doing piano bar gigs. So the fact that I'm able to even help my family in any way is a really huge part of the balance yeah. because I thought I think it was seesawed this way sure. for a long time. And money, not, not that money matters, but it does in certain ways because you want to you be there for your family and you want to whatever. And as you start to make money, you help them more or you do more and you give more. And you know what giving is. It's addicting. Yeah. You know, you give. Oh, my God. The feeling of giving is there's nothing better than the feeling of giving. And if you're ever in a down spot in your life or you're ever in a bad, shitty spot, it's probably because you got selfish in some way or you took the eye off the ball. You know, it could happen to anybody. And at some points we have to always get back to other, thinking of other people first. Right. And I think it's that giving thing and it's that, that balance of love and just making sure that everyone feels loved, nobody feels left out, nobody feels whatever, that that creates the right soup for me. That's the balance. But you do realize that people have free will. And there's sometimes that you just cannot do anything about it. There's right. Nothing you can do. Right. There are going to be blow ups. There are going to be fights. There are going to be it's whatever. It's part of the journey. It's part of what? It's totally part of the right. journey. Yeah. yeah. But when you feel responsible as a as a parent or you're, uh, that's tough. Because then you're like, oh shit, what can I do? And a lot of times, sometimes there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But to pray for that and to, to keep that would be the uh, balance for me. I yeah.
0: found that, that with leadership for me, and I, I always tie things back to leadership because it's kind of how I um, how I equate myself as a man today, right, compared to, to who I used to be, somebody that just cared about himself. And so, you know, working on, <laughs> working on leadership in my home life and in my work life and in my community separately was really important to kind of getting back to this person, um, but then there was a point where I was running myself ragged, right? Like mm. it was like, you had these personas, right? Like you're one person here, one person there. And then there was a point where I kind of realized that this authentic person that I had become me. I was finally, I, I looked for- Ooh, me, 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 I, I I looked for, it, it took me honestly almost 35 years to kind of go, oh yeah, that's George, you know? Like that, that's who that guy is. Right. You know, I wasn't right. trying to be no. somebody else, right? No. And that, yeah. when I brought that authentic leadership and that balance where every part of my life became a part of each other, right? Like I, I thought about my home life when I was at work. I thought about my work life when I was mm. at home. I always And how it about all ties together. And how it all ties together. When I got that balance, dude, it was crazy. It was almost like fucking uh, uh, Luke Skywalker learning the force, right? It was like, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, this is it. You're like in the Matrix dodging bullets. You're like, you know, you kind of like understand it and then it opens you up for like all these different things. Like you talked about giving, right? I I talked to somebody recently who talked a lot about being a servant leader. You Mm. could totally understand this because you're a really religious guy. You, You believe in your faith a lot. And so becoming somebody that always thinks about other people first in your leadership yeah. it's a big deal the the world needs people like that so you know i commend you for for being that person you know because the, you. the world needs that in every aspect you know i'm proud to be that person in in the business world and in my community but you know it's it's nice to know that there were people Yeah because if
2: because if we're only building our building our own empires uh you know that's selfish
1: right yeah. That's, yeah. Th-
2: th- there's a there's got to be something in your soul that just stirs and goes no and then and and you don't realize it until you start the giving process and start to to see the good it does or to see how people are affected and it only makes you want to do that more it makes you want to be that way more and it's and it's it's just reciprocity it's back in it, yes it, you know what i'm saying it's just that you know and you're not going to get the full benefits of the reciprocity unless you literally live in that state you have to live in the state, to me, of constant giving. Because the minute you stop doing that, it's so easy to get back on a selfish, you know, me, 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 and yeah. before you know it, man, you're just, Done. you're going down the show. Done, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, man, I love this, this is so big. We're gonna play a little, not a game, we're gonna do something that I wanna make a tradition here um, on the launch cast. We're gonna do something called the big three, right? Okay. I'm gonna call some stuff out, you're gonna give me your top three. Okay. Off the top of your head. Okay. Right? Top three Billy Joel songs. Scenes from
2: an Italian restaurant. Uh, Vienna. And I got to really think. 2,000 years.
0: My man. Holy shit. We're right there. Yeah. Top three Mike Del Judas songs.
2: Oh, Jesus. I don't like me.
0: Can we skip that? Can I tell you... That I know that's your problem, and we like you. <laughs> <laughs> we really like you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. But yeah, I, I,
2: I, I mean, if there's ones that I could look back, back and say that I'm that la- have lasted the longest of me wanting to play them, uh, probably until the end comes first. Um, it's just a little ditty, and it all came out in one shot. And mm-hmm. There's not a lot of songs that you write that all come out in one shot—lyrics and, and melody and and you know chords. Uh, Mona Lisa for sure. Um, I don't know. That's, that, that, that's tough. That's tough. I, I would have to really dig down deep. I have some oldest romantic would probably be one that would, that seems to last. But again, I don't think of them. I don't think of them as radio. I think of Mona Lisa as a radio song. Yeah. I don't think of anything else as a radio song. I wrote, I don't write for the radio. I don't write to be, I could, if you give me a style and say, write like this, I can give you a whole album of, of shit that sounds like popular radio. Yeah. I'm not, look, I'm not looking to chase what's out there and' been done already. Yeah. I just want to be me. Yeah. So to me, the only way to do that is I don't allow outside music to infiltrate my brain too much. I stay in my own head when I'm in a writing period, and I just let that happen. I let kind of originality happen, I hope it. Because my influences are already there. They're already in me. They're going to come through my music already. Yeah. So I don't like a lot of outside influence on top of what I already have. Yeah. You know, um, but Mona Lisa was the first tune where I actually said, you know what, I think I need a commercial tune. I'll stop trying to be the, you know, the prolific writer kind of, not try to be, but I'm, I, I need a, I need a couple of catchy ones to jump out and be three minutes long and hit the radio. And and I and I can write those, like, you know, not say it in a, in a cocky way, but when you already have a template laid out of what's on the radio, when you listen to it a few times, you can go, yeah, all right, so I got to. It's like a formula. Yeah. A lot of these songs are formula, but uh, Mona Lisa was definitely more of like a. It was I knew it was gonna be a, a straight. I knew it was gonna be a radio kind of song, and that's what I was going for. And I really wanted a Coldplay, meets uh, Ben Folds Five version. So we went in bare assed. I brought I Chris Ma- Chris Marshack on the drums. You see, you'll see these guys uh, on the live video from the from the concert at the high school. Uh huh. It's Chris Marshack on drums and John Prettis on. On cello, yep, and Pat Falco on bass. Okay, that was it. We literally went in with us, us four people. I love it. And we, I wanted to make the piano and the vibe of the song to be, um, and the the dynamics, the buildups, yep, to be everything. And in order to do that, you got to start really minimally, and then you add as you. You really got to add as you go and be careful. Um, and I think the only thing I overdubbed uh, was. Was just a straight power chord guitar thing, which is buried too. It's not even loud in the mix. And then I added, we added, me and Jonathan did some background of, uh, Yeah, we did that. We did that part. Um, but that was it, you know. And uh, and I really, I really thought that was like my the mainstream tune. I had a tune on my on my last record on my street, One Step at a Time, which was a, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice wedding song. Yeah, you know, but it reminds me of divorce. So. I really don't want to fucking talk about that song <laughs> or the person I wrote it for. So there you go. And I'm sure Billy's got a few of those. So, uh, you know, like, every, it's so funny. Every time Billy does a song live, he goes, and then we got divorced. That's like his classic. <laughs> that's his classic. And I just laugh. And, it, you know, last night he said something over the microphone, which is even funny. He goes, he goes, well, I got four. I've been, I've done it four times. I said, so have I. And he starts cracking up. <laughs> and he goes, but, but I, he goes, but I'm still with number four. So, you know, like that kind of, it was like that kind of thing, you know? So well, still okay. counts for you. It still counts, yeah. You know, I, I recycle. Right? I recycle. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, yeah. So if that's that song was a good commercial tune too, but I think it was produced too too pop, too old school cheese with saxophone. There's no saxophones in music anymore. You yeah. I mean? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like production wise, it kind of it's it's back a little bit, but the uh, arrangement I enjoyed, and I, you know, th- there's some good arrangements
0: in that. So, yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, big three. Top three favorite places in the world to be. I'm not talking about vacation locales or anything. I'm talking okay. about being in a place anywhere. Top three.
2: Together with all my children at once, when all of them are in the same room. Um. I guess you could say in a creative state, being in a creative state for sure. And... I wanna say eating a hungry man egg sandwich from my cousin's belly. Yes. Deli. yes. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know if that applies. But uh I I think uh, you know, being with somebody you, you really love. Yeah. And I mean like legit love to the point where it's
0: It hurts you know, to not, not be there. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And not only hurts not to be there, but a lo- a love that you'll sa- that you'll be willing to sacrifice a lot of yourself for, even if it means Taking a toll Yeah Genuine love Like my like I gotta say Like my, my my mom and dad You asked before They they, they together Or whatever still yeah. And I'll always say uh, I don't know if they should be But you yeah. know I joke around with them About it too uh, But the truth is there's, there's something to be said About that kind of love Where you know Yes you're the You might be the craziest person Or I might be the craziest person At times But we're not going anywhere yep. That kind of thing Or at least we don't Want to go anywhere You know what I mean Yep uh, so I'll give you I'll give you that for the top three. Okay. I'm sure I, I would think of I would think of other things. And then well, three and a half is with the three X and a half sandwich. is with the, Yeah, with yeah. the X's. All right, yeah.
0: top three accomplishments.
2: Accomplishments. Um, being a dad. Um, I would say I would say, being able to earn a living playing music, it was just a huge just that I, that I can do what I love and actually make a living at it and. I never dreamed it would turn into what it turned into, even with Big Shot, because Big Shot is a, you yeah. know, a large portion of, of the income I make. Uh, and let me say big, that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's you
0: a, were doing fine with Big Shot. Yeah. You yeah. were doing fine with Big Shot at that point. Yeah, which absolutely. That, that's
2: a big deal, man. Absolutely. That's yeah. a big deal. And third would be, uh, third would be obviously, Billy. I mean, musically musically speaking. But it's it always starts with God and the family. You know what I mean? To me, they're tied in together as one. Well, I one. love that you put
0: that third. Yeah, yeah. I do love that. Yeah. Yeah, top 3 mistakes.
2: Oh, let's see. Top 3. Do I start at 3 or do I start at 1? Surprise me. All right. I think top 3 mistakes would be
0: Nobody's oh. listening by the way. Don't worry. Nobody's listening. Nobody's Nobody's on. <laughs> no, I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't, be shy. don't be Don't shy. be shy. Don't be shy.
2: Uh, mistakes? I I don't fucking believe in mistakes. I think mistakes are part of the process. It's hard to answer that kind of question because I can't think of too many mistakes. I make tons of mistakes. I'm a human. I make horrible mistakes, but I can't think of I can't think of many that you know didn't help me grow in some way. So they're hard to, it's hard for me to look at anything in my life and go, "Man, I shouldn't have fucked up." And it goes back to what I teach my kids, which is just you got to let them screw up. You got you got to learn. You have to mess up. Mistakes, I would say, would be. Um, I know this is disgusting, but not maybe not putting myself first at times because uh, okay. I just don't. You know, and I'm not saying that to be in any kind of uh, home, you know. I'm tr- I'm being in the most realistic way when I look at my life is that I'm just always so worried and making sure that other people are okay in my life that I think sometimes I just kind of fall to the wayside and I think that I can't be good for them unless I'm really good for me. You know I what hear, I mean? And I'm I'm in a good place and I'm a whatever. Um, other mistakes i would say i've made plenty of mistakes with, my, with, with being a parent um we'll include that as one
0: what's that we'll include that as yeah, one yeah yeah and, I get and that.
2: but those but th- again those are things that i needed to do to learn from myself and there were also things that you know every kid needs something to say about
1: their parents <laughs> you That's know it's
2: got to be it reaches that point of separation in the, in the teenage years uh, to the 20s where you know, you remember as being a kid, you, yeah, your pa- parents didn't know anything. At some point, they're all stupid. They're whatever, whatever. And then everything kind come, of comes full circle. Yep. I, I definitely wish that I would have made a couple of different decisions um, in that regard with my kids, and maybe even who you know we could tie it into that to I can't see. I can't tie my divorces into a mistake. I get it. Because my kids came from 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 most of them, not the, not the last one. So that one I could say was a fucking number three. No, no, you're right. That's not a solid of it, though. But I'll say like any any anybody that I was with that I had a child with. Yeah, I'll never consider a mistake. Sure. Because what came from it would only have come from it. They would only be who they are if I did it that. If I not if I didn't do it that way, they wouldn't be who they yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing that doesn't matter. Not, you know that's that's like no no mistake there. Uh, you know, and in music, I'd say, not practicing. Um, for moving out and before I did the before I did the audition back in two thousand and one. No, I don't know. There's so many. You know what I mean? I I sucked up then. You know I I
0: was. It wasn't meant to be, man. That, no, that I, ended I, I was such. I in was a couple so, of years. Yeah. It was a great show,
2: but it was no, it was it was. And I had I had again like they already had Michael Cavanaugh, they already yeah. had Wade, they already had their guys. Yeah. So they were spying on me to maybe be a you know third chair or yeah, something sorry, that they right. might have needed, but I was too used to playing Billy's tunes the way I played them. Yes. They wanted it exactly. Was, by the book. So I but went But
0: like a little theatrical too, which uh, isn't like, and not only that, but in a, yeah, bo- in I'm, a box this is yeah, no putting I remember, it down. Under the stage, yeah.
2: In other words, uh, Tommy says this to me all the time when I say, ah, I wish I would have you know, would have been a little more whatever and a little more whatever. he goes he goes, Mike. He goes Your first time I saw you, he goes, they they asked me to report back what I saw. He goes he's re- he's unbelievable we love the way he sounds Lo- you know tommy i love the way he sounds whatever whatever he goes but he would look at me all the time he'd go mike tattoos mm-hmm. bald Twilight thorpe was literally like <laughs> you know like who's this guy looks like he's gonna get jump out in the audience and knock <laughs> some people out so it, it was you know it was and tommy knows me as somebody that like you can't put a set list in front of me you can and it's not gonna work. No. no. Maybe five percent of the time I'm gonna stick to that list. Yeah. I don't like to be put in a box on stage. I yeah. like to really just well, oh, I got a feeling. Let me go with this. Let me go with that. And, you know, we'll have a template, but then let me, sure. you know. So there's 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 that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Love yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm gonna uh, I think what we're gonna do is we'll uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna close out uh, with some closing comments first and then you'll sure. play some what do you want to play? What do you think? Uh probably until the end. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I Want to thank everybody for joining us first we're gonna be on for a few more minutes while Mike performs here Uh, But I want to say a couple of things so um, Yeah, the launch cast Uh, this was this was a big deal for me guys This was uh, this was something that I have wanted to do for a long time Um, I think it's a it's a necessary show uh, we're, gonna be, we're gonna be talking about leadership from all perspectives, business, life, growth. So stay tuned, you can find us. You know what you do? Check me out on Instagram, Facebook, at Launchpad CEO. Uh, you'll find the links to the LaunchCast accounts from there. Um, the, the format of the show is gonna be, we're gonna have a, a conversational style weekly show. Uh, we're gonna normally do a half hour preview as a Facebook Live and then the entire show will be available the following week on, uh, on Apple for iTunes podcast uh, under the LaunchCast. And we'll probably have a YouTube show. Uh, we'll be on IGTV on all the accounts. So just follow at Launchpad CEO. Uh, make sure you go on right now, Instagram, Facebook, and follow that um, <coughs> and you'll get all the updates from that. Uh, what I wanna close with is uh, I wanna do something because we, we had some laughs tonight we had some uh, some deep thought. We had some really really great conversation. So what I want to say is, um, before every show, I want to after every show, I want to make this a tradition where we sort of talk about inspiration a little bit. So there's a guy I have up here in the office, uh, Jimmy V, one of my sports heroes. He was a, a coach, basketball coach for Rutgers, uh, gave one of the most incredible speeches of all time to me. I'm a public speaker. I keynote. I'm a TEDx speaker. Um, And so some of these public speakers, I've really studied what they do in terms of inspiring a crowd and and really reaching them, engaging them. So Jimmy's Don't Give Up speech at the SBS was something so incredible because it taught me a big lesson. And this is something I want to leave with you guys today. And it really goes to show you on this show right now that we've experienced this. He talked about the three things that he does every single day in order to make a full day. And those things are to laugh, to be moved to thought, and to cry. And he said, you do those three things, that's a hell of a day right there. You do that seven days a week, shit, man. That's a good life right there. So we're gonna, every episode, (coughs) that's the plan, every episode, we're gonna laugh, we're gonna think, we're gonna cry together, um, we're gonna get into deep thought, we're gonna talk about what it means to be a leader. I hope you guys join us uh, on this journey going forward. This, This has been an incredible, first episode and uh, I want to I want to thank Mike for being a dude this is thank you this means so much to me that you were here and I also it was important for me to tell your story from a different perspective I did a ton of research on you Um, I was up till 3 in the morning last night man I I watched every single interview you've done I've read every article Uh, I want to be well prepared for these interviews and I want to I want to get to the crux of leadership. You've right? done a I fantastic to, job. Thank you're, you, my you're man. A really good interview. Thank man. you, my no man. joke. No I joke. appreciate it. Yeah. I want to get to the crux, and that's what this is about. I want to sort of get to the crux of what it means to be a leader, and to show everybody that there's an unconventional journey to get to it. Right? Yes. Um, my journey to being who I am today, fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But, but at the same time, I would wish it on everybody. You, would bl- you,
2: you, you wouldn't wish the process on anybody, but you, you would wish the result.
0: Yeah. But you know what, yeah. man, it, it's almost like you've been inspired by so many just traumas and tragedies in your life and by so many joys in your life. Right. Yeah. And that, that comes through in your music. And so that's what I'm trying to do. This is my music right yeah. now, man. This is what I'm trying to do. Cause you don't want to hear my real music. Um, <laughs> It actually sounds mostly like your mom walking down the hall in the mornings. <laughs> right. So um, but but this is what we're going to do. We're going to dive in every single week uh, with a new interview. So you'll be able to find this the following Monday morning on uh, on iTunes, on Apple podcast uh, by 6 a.m. These will load up and then look for the videos, look for the YouTube channel, the whole deal. Um, so I'm going to leave this with Mike again. Thank you. We'll go to you now. And uh, thanks for joining us, guys. All right. Uh, This is uh, Until the End.
1: Did you find me there again Outside our old, old hotel? mine as well, can I build a bridge between your heart and mine, take away your pain and make it mine, until the end, my faithful friend, till the end. Found, say to me, you'll always.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: All right, guys. We'll see you next week later. Launch sequence terminated.
1: Into the black hole. Sing for my soul. Into the black hole.
0: Thanks for listening to the launchcast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.